Why is it? It did not win. It didn't win anything. When was it? Uh, last Saturday. You didn't. That you didn't go to. Was I supposed to? You don't support your friends and their endeavors. Was yeah. I supposed to go somewhere last Saturday? No, you said you didn't. I told you about it like many times. I didn't know I was invited to anything. Where was it? At Cork. Oh. It was their uh, homebrew competition. What was I doing on Saturday? I don't know. You said you had, uh, I don't know, I can't remember now. I kind of feel like it was a kid's game thing or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway. Um, yeah, it was, I was that was Sunday super- when I was doing that. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I was surprised people don't care about this. <laughs> Are we recording? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I was surprised that um, how, how many actually, how much good homebrew there was. Uh, there was a couple that weren't great, but I mean, there was a lot of, well, first of all, at the top echelon, there was some really good stuff. Um, even though I didn't win anything, I, I got lots of compliments. And I got lots of the vote. So there was three actual judges and then all, and then all the just regulars um, mm-hmm. got one voting chip and they can put in their bucket for their favorite beer. And I got tons of chips, but someone must've gotten more than me because I did not win the fan favorite either. Hmm. But I had to be up there. I like it. I think it's good. It's, I've still got some of the keg and it's, it's better. This is, like I said, I poured this off on. Uh, so what's week. not, so what is the difference between what I have now and what you, the, I can't talk. What's in the keg? Can I reset? <laughs> okay. What do you think is the difference between what you're tasting right now? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a little dark. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's oxidized. I mean, it wasn't like, I don't, I don't, I don't CO2 flush a growler before I fill it. So it's just not as fresh. I'd, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it tastes, how it's different, but it's, the carbonation's not quite right either. Um, it really is good though. I'm getting that, that, that almost creaminess mm-hmm. kind of right there on the, on the, on the tongue. And then you get that bitter from the strawberry. I'm even getting a bit of a reaction from the strawberry. Mm-hmm. They were very ripe. So I used 12 pounds of um, frozen strawberries because they're so ripe. Mm-hmm. Look, it's just easier working with frozen. Got a little throat itchies back there. Do you? Yeah. Could be from the hops. This is very highly hop. Mm-hmm. This is. So I don't normally is, get that from hops, but I get that from certain fruits. Okay. It depending on what I'm eating. Um, this is this definitely high. I mean, this is first and foremost a, a, a New England IPA. I mean, it's it's got a, you know, the equivalent of like six pounds per barrel. Of, I'm glad of you're hops. back to IPAs. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm not a big lager person. I, I just kegged a lager last night. A, uh, <laughs> I'll a, drink it. A, I won't say no to a lager. A German just... style pilsner, but I used uh, so, the Czech Saws hops. Okay. Because it's just, they're good hops. And I've never used them before. I've done like tet, Tetanang and uh, Hallertau, or not Hallertau. Um, yeah, mm. Hallertau. I just uh, thought, well, I, but I do, I just like the water profile and kind of the, the crispness of the German pilsner a little bit better than like Czech. Well, lagers are great, super cold. On a I'm, hot day, you know, mine are good enough that you can let them warm up and they don't taste like crap. They actually still taste good. <laughs> but oh, so, I agree with you. I, so you can taste lager, your beer, huh? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like a pilsner's. I mean, it's a great lawnmower beer, a pool beer, whatever. You know, yeah. just it's. I mean, grilling beer. It, I feel sorry. And it's kind of funny because you look at these craft beer nerds and that that has have always eschewed pilsner and or lager in general, and they they they're slowly coming around. This is mainly being pushed by a lot of the really well regarded brewers of these little. Um, you know, really uh, sought after craft breweries. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they are pushing. Lager. They're making. No one asked them to make lagers. They're all making making lagers out and trying to get their customers to start drinking lagers. And so, between I think what some home brewers and what those craft brewers are doing, they're trying to say, "Hey, we really we know what you grew up with. Your dad drank really shitty 
American loggers. And so that's what you think of. You think you think logger means it's shitty, but you've got to try to deprogram yourself from that because that's not that's not true. Like there are actually craft loggers. You know, there's good stuff out there. Well, I don't know that all of us. I don't know. For some, it's that that party beer that you buy like a twenty four, like twelve twenty four packs. And those are for five probably bucks. really. Oh, those are probably bad. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you fill up the back of your truck and you go out to the wilderness somewhere and just have at it. I mean, I, when I kegged this pilsner last night, I tasted it. It's got it's not, it's like great, like crackery. The malt's got like that pilsner cracker kind of bready aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And then I pop it pretty pretty generously, so it's got a lot of that nice, just kind of almost spicy German. So in this case, Czech, you know, Czech, this kind yeah. of spicy, noble Czech hop flavor. Um, it's just good. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, and I just, I feel sorry for people who don't, who, I think for who me, have turned their brain off For, from for me, a lot of, any kind of drinking is more just of a sit down and relax type thing. So I really want to taste, you know, that's, that's why my whiskeys, the way I enjoy them is I like to sit and drink them and sip them and taste them. When, it's after, not, after you mix them with Coke? <laughs> I only do that when I'm just trying to <laughs> uh, to limit myself. <laughs> I, I'm, I I'm, like how you still entertain me busting your balls about that. I'm <laughs> I no, I I I admit it. I, I will mix my my good whiskey and some Coke sometimes, but that's only just because don't mix the really good stuff with whiskey with Coke, please. I don't buy nothing but good stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I used to up. buy a bottle like a, of of Jack Daniels or something that I would mix that I was used used for mixing, but then I got to the point where I was just like. I had enough that I could spare, but now since I don't go very often and I don't drink it very often, it's I sometimes will mix it. But it's just you know I just want to taste. I just want the flavor, and I don't want to drink a lot, so I'll just put some coke in it just because it fills it up and gives me more to drink for longer. But if I just want to sit there, I recommend either water or club soda. I do that. I do soda. that. But if I'm just sitting there and I'm relaxing and I'm mm-hmm. by myself and I'm just tasting and I'm, my activity is to sit there and taste and watch some. Veg on something on on my iPad or something. That's that's what I'm doing. I find myself in the summer. Um, I'll do um, whiskey, usually bourbon. Um, but but because I want, I'm thirsty too. Like and it's hot and like I want I want more liquid. Yeah. I'll do um, usually so, like because we have a soda stream, so I've always got endless amounts of soda. But like soda water uh, with, and then I'll just put a dash of some. We have all kinds of bitters, some kind of bitters in there. Usually they're Angostura Peychauds. Mm-hmm. But I got a bunch of others that I'll just randomly do whatever. Just because I like, I don't know, it's a little bit of a spice to it. Yeah, um, I do kind of make miss making some mixed drinks because uh, I have all that stuff and I, I do enjoy it, but I don't have a kitchen, so. And then the other thing I really love is um, I love a good, what's it called when you do ginger and ginger beer and bourbon? Is that a Kentucky mule maybe? I don't know. I, but I don't do the lime usually. I, don't, I just don't take the Yeah, I think that's considered a Kentucky mule. I don't do the lime. I think you have to have lime. I don't do the lime, so I don't know. Whatever you call it. It's just... Wi- a- I know I've made that before. I don't remember if if it's the Kentucky Mule or not, but yeah, it probably is. Or, you know, I, mean, I think it's just a whiskey ginger, maybe? I'm not sure. No, I think it's I think it's Kentucky Mule. Okay. Um, but I don't drink it out of the Mule glass or any of that stuff, or nor do well, I I got the, the copper juice. glasses and everything. I have them. I just don't use them, because they're just... I just use glasses. I just always feel like a gimmick. <laughs> I, well, plus, I have the real copper ones, and it turns out that's those are actually really bad for you. I mean, well, I don't know. That's a question of how bad it is. But the thing is, is that what makes like a Moscow Mule a Moscow Mule is that it, they got a lot of a lot of lime juice, so the pH is low. It's quite acidic, mm-hmm. and it interacts with the copper. And if you're using an actual just raw copper cup, mm-hmm. and it tastes metallic, you can taste the copper. You can taste the metallic. Well, it yeah. turns out that's actually really bad for you. If you're tasting <laughs> copper, that's way too much copper. It's like you know, you don't want that much copper. You don't want that that much aluminum. What are you talking about? We all have copper in our pipes, don't we? <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's the the pH of water is such that you're not. It's not just leaching the copper out, and you're drinking a bunch of copper. <laughs> it's all about the pH. Um, Anyways, but, the the whole the whole reason we got on that was for was to set me up to say. When I'm sitting and I'm wanting to taste drinks, I care about the taste. I care about that. But when it's hot and I just want to drink something refreshing and I want an adult version of a refreshing beverage, the lager is pretty awesome. You know, a a Mexican beer is pretty awesome with lime in it. I got no problem. Ice cold. Not that I think they're great beers, but I mean, I will crush some Dos Equis at a a Mexican Mexican restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) Because they usually don't have good wine, Mexican restaurants. Every once in a while, like... You'll have one. That's yeah, why I like Macero. Macero has great. Never known a Mexican place to have wine. Go to Macero. You've been there? No. In Legacy West. Uh-uh. It's, yeah, it's like another notch up, in my opinion. Hmm. But anyway, enough of the. Uh, food, oh wait a minute! I have been there. Talk. Oh, you, I think you. We've have. been there. Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, so let's. I uh, we should say this will be. Um, this will be a different, a slightly different show type of show for anyone who's still listening that thought this was a. There, someone told them it was a Salesforce podcast, and they. They stopped about five minutes ago, considering we're 10 minutes into this. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I don't know. I downloaded the wrong podcast. I must have got the wrong one. <laughs> we just talked about beer for yep. 30 minutes. Um, Maybe we should have a host, host a beer podcast, an alcohol podcast, <laughs> an adult beverage there's podcast. Because there's not, there's not already very many of those. So, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, 10 bucks says we get a larger audience. And <laughs> <laughs> Never know, I guess. There's, there, you know, there, while there's 5 billion developers, how many of those drink? See? Well, if they do, That's if the they, new niche. If they're they're, Salesforce developers, probably all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so if we switch to talking about nothing but beer and promote itself as a, as a as a adult beverage podcast, we could get all 5 five billion developers, right? Yeah. That's maybe so. Did I, I mean, turn million into billion? It's supposed to be you did. I know you've been saying that. Yeah. But I'm, Salesforce appreciates it. They'll, they'll take whatever. They'll take whatever. They'll, you know, next thing you know, in their next marketing, they'll say five billion, and then it'll be asterisk source, John DeSantiago. <laughs> um, as long as I get credit. Yeah, well, that's true. So this will be this will be different because uh, last week, which we again could not could not make a recording happen, but um, that Dallas World Tour was in town, which I ended up not going to. Got out of it, and a friend of the show, Shane McLaughlin, stopped by to. Re- to uh, you know, check to out the studio and yeah, to, to interview for your I replacement. Think, yeah, I, I mean, say, I wasn't going to tell you but here for since you guessed my it, replacement. Like, yeah, since you guessed it, I guess I'll just spill the beans. But um, now we recorded for uh, just turn the mics on and had a had a fun conversation. So we'll, probably what we'll do is play that at the end here, and we'll I'm guessing we're just going to play half of it because it was a fairly long conversation. So we'll do half of it maybe this week and half of it next week. Sounds good. So yeah, that's why I call this. This is a uh, this is like a this two parter. Yeah, this is a lunch portion. We'll do two of these. We'll do a lunch portion this week and lunch portion next week, and it's a half a half a sandwich and half a cup of soup. Nice. And What's I don't know. I don't know which day? is which. I, don't know, I guess it's Shane McLaughlin is the soup <laughs> of the day. <laughs> that doesn't sound wrong at all. <laughs> I, not at all. He's like, oh my god, why did I go on that show? Let's get to content. Yeah, let's. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything, but I, I had some few things that I've been kind of working on that. Oh, they're frustrations. They're weird things. I'm frustrated with COVID. You should have a lot. I mean, you should be really ramping into a lot of good, like, uh, in-the-trenches stories for us. Well, I am, but I, I, I'm I, tempering it with, because I don't want to just blast other developers for what I see and for what they did. I always try to understand 
and I was telling you this earlier, but I always try to understand what their thought process was, what time frame, what era this code was written in, and that might inform me on why they made the decisions they made. But sometimes it just comes down to just stupid, shitty code. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just baffled by some of the decisions that were made. And at some point, they should have realized they were going down a bad path, and they should have course corrected, but they never did. They just doubled down on it. So I've got a system that's got these nested components all communicating each other with, with events and, and a masked event that uses a different component systems event handler. I don't know why they just didn't create a new event component to shuffle everything through so at least it can make sense. It's going to this other components event system, getting broadcasted out, and then it has a bunch of case statements in the controllers, the JavaScript controls, to figure out what to do and do different things. And sometimes it's calling itself again. Yeah. So like there's a component for handling record creation and or edits or something or views and it could have a component and then you click to add it and it would create a new instance of itself with a new config that would tell it to do something different and it in the when you look at the event system you see the same thing the same objects over and over or the same components over and over and you have no you're struggling to figure out which one is doing what um, I got I got to give thanks for the JavaScript tooling that exists in Chrome. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's just, and even the the Lightning Inspector, I mean, I know it's not perfect. I know it's not perfect. And I know it's crappy, but it still has useful information. Does and it? yeah, I mean, there are t- plenty of times where I have to sit there, click a button and watch all the events that are happening. Now, it's not organized mm-hmm. well. It the, the events that it does display doesn't have enough information for me to pick out which one. So I do have to kind of go into the tree and open each one and try to figure out which one's which. But once I find it, it does have a little bit more information to tell me where the event was fired and what what captured that event or what ended up using that event, um, which is where I found that graphic. I posted it on Slack. That handle the truth node in that call stack, Yeah, that's in the OR framework somewhere. That's not anywhere in our code base. Yeah, yeah. So at some point, Salesforce realized... No one can handle the truth of what's really going on with this event system yeah. because it goes into this one thing and that thing it broadcasts out to every all the components that are listening and you just see the lines going to all the different components and it just it made me cringe at what's really going on in browsers these days that when it comes me. to these applications. There's a there's a some code I've been working on and I I don't I've never dug into this part of the code. I've only seen it in Stack Trace, but often um, there's a method that's in the stack trace called eat what you kill. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and every time I see it, I'm like, I've got to look this up because I'm so curious of what this is. But yeah. I just, I'm in the middle, by definition, I'm kind of in the middle of like trying to solve a problem. And so I, I don't, I forget to go back and look at it. Got to figure out what that is. Eat what you kill. <laughs> like, I, mean, <laughs> I do want to get to the point where I have like this really massive code base where I can embed just a little nugget like that somewhere deep in it. And the only way you're going to find it is if you're nerding out on the code yeah. or it's something, some weird stack trace puts you puts it in, in your view. But Or some smart-ass young developer who's working on the code after you're gone is, is sitting on a <laughs> podcast complaining about your crappy code and having to debug code. He's like, who? why would you even put this in here? <laughs> you know what? I've written code that I'm embarrassed of. I've written code where I've over-engineered the solution. <clears throat> But I'd like to say that at least it made sense. Like wow. you could you could somehow justify it or at least kind of talk your way through on how I got there and the mistakes I made. Some of this is just I don't understand it. It's like they just threw shit in in the code and didn't care about yeah, it. They just kept moving characters around until it worked enough. Yes. <laughs> I know. Dude, I see so much development like that. I mean, that's what, you know, 
hey, when you get people that have, that spend two months tr- get training on Trailhead, now they're a developer. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you get. I mean, software engineering is a thing. Like working with, you know, mentoring and like uh, apprenticing with good people is yeah. a, is a thing. You know, like it's just sometimes there's just not sh- the kind of shortcuts that you'd hope there are in life. But no one wants to admit that anymore, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I but I do got to say. What's helped me out a lot and what's made development very enjoyable these days has been having some tools. I, mean, I remember going back in, the, in, back in the day with Apex and troubleshooting someone else's code and dealing with the debug logs, either in, in the dev console or even Eclipse or whatever other tool we had. It, it just wasn't there. We, did, we had no chance. We were basically reading code. We were, we were spamming the debug logs with a bunch of just statements everywhere. I mean, that was our debug process, was to write a bunch of debug statements and write them like crazy That's, length or words just so you can try to find it and then still start reading. That's still my debug process, John. Well, I, I rely on that a lot less these days. Hmm. Um, You're supposed to use uh, tests for that, but I don't know. I still No, these, these are just exploratory things trying yeah. to figure things out. I mean, yeah. I don't even understand enough what it's supposed to do to know how I'm supposed to call it. Yeah, exactly. Like trying to figure out if a method's even getting called. Is something is a trigger even firing? Like what, yeah. what's happening? Is here? it even yeah. falling in this? So yeah. the tooling has gotten a lot better and it, uh, some, uh, unfortunately, aside from DX becoming available, because I mean DX is great and the command line tooling is great, but it's things like the 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 JavaScript debugging tools that exist in Chrome. It's things like IDEs like like Illuminated Cloud that have just made development so much better because we have tooling to help us deal with this stuff. Yeah, it is, now it's better. Like tools like Visual Studio Code and Eclipse are great when you're starting out. You can write code, you can deploy it, you can read it, you can modify. It, you're fine. But where these other tools really shine and where, where moving past a text editor to an IDE really helps you out is when you're having to maintain something that's massive or you're having to deal with something that you did not write and the people who wrote it are gone and it's, you're trying to figure it out. That's when these tools really start to help and they really start to shine because I, I am a lot less frustrated than I should be and mainly because of these tools. Yeah. And I know people, because it was hard to follow what you were trying to describe earlier, but just trust me, uh, John is dealing with some uh, quite challenging code. I'll just I'll leave it at that. It it does it makes you wonder like how are these people employed? How did they how did they how did, did they did they not know at all? What, or did they just did they not feel bad about it? Did they were not were they not aware? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I told you'd be fun. No, it has been. It's been a it's been a challenge. But anyway, you know, I I what I what, what I'm expecting to hear from you. I want to hear more. I mean, I know you're dealing with uh, you know and uh, a challenging code base, but I want to hear just more about um, stuff you're learning in the in the in the platform and um, fun little edge cases you found or just lessons learned or things like that. Uh, that's the kind of thing I I would think that you'd be or, or lessons fun, learned fun with ISV stuff or. Oh, it's not fun with ISV stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what I've learned is that ISV stuff is stuck in the Stone Ages in terms of Salesforce stuff. Like admins today in in Salesforce proper, the tooling you have, you can complain about your your iframed uh, nested stuff, but the ISV tools are stuck in the Stone Age. You still have to install all these separate packages into your your Dev Hub org yeah. to do license management and to. And the TSO process, the trials, was it service trial, or trial source, source org? org. Yep. And then you have to create 
template orgs out of that. And then it's just this convoluted mess. And you have to go to so many different places. You have your dev, you have your uh, environment hub also that you have to work with and deal with, which is all your instances that that are linked or created from your, your dev hub org. And then you have your license management tools, and then you have your subscriber tools, and there's no good way to find anybody. You have to base that's why Salesforce, when Salesforce, when you submit a case, please submit your org ID because I know the tools they're using, because it's probably the same tools we're using. Yeah. And there's no way to find anything without that org ID. Yeah. Because I need I need to get the org ID so I can find the subscriber so that I can go log into your org so I can get a damn debug because it's all <laughs> it's all obfuscated. Yeah. And uh so yeah, it, I've learned that. That that org ID is key. Yep. I have a little more sympathy for for why they need that. Although when you log a case logged in through your org, you would think that they would. It it, it reminds me of these IVRs where it's like, please enter your account number, you enter your account number mm-hmm. on the phone, you know, pound, and then it's now transferring into a rep, and you get to the rep, and they're like, can you give me your account number? I'm like, I just typed it in. I'm like, oh, I I don't see that. Yeah. I'm like, well, why do you have us enter it? Yep. <laughs> why do I have to be logged into? To submit a case if you don't get any of that logged in information. Yeah. The other thing I'm learning is I'm learning to be very cautious about getting excited for new features because you don't know if they're going to be supported in the metadata or you don't know whether or not you're going to be able to deprecate that feature. And depending on the feature, the type of thing also, you don't know what it's going to cost. You don't know what the limitations yeah. are going to be. You don't, if it's not GA yet, you don't know if it's actually going to make it to GA. So, yeah. And it's misleading, like like the uh, I'll take. So I've been looking at um, revamping our help system because it's actually non-existent. It's broken. No one knows where our help system is hosted at. So I've got to rebuild it. Um, and so I was looking at my options. Like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to build custom objects? I'm going to do this. And then I was like, oh wait a minute, Salesforce had that thing where you could do contextual um, help, and it's part of the page layout mechanism. I thought, well, maybe I can use that. Well, it turns out it's still a beta feature. It might be going on GA with this release, but I haven't read the, the release notes. But it's very limited in context and very limited on where it can be positioned. You basically can choose a quadrant on the on the grid somewhere of you know top right, left, right, bottom, whatever to show where it's showing up. And so it was a lot more limiting than I hoped. Um, but there was an article on it that first got me really excited because they talked about how it's this thing you can use and this and that. And I go and read. It and I was like, it's a beta feature. Why are you telling me to use it in my package? It does. Yeah. So. I don't know, you just got to be really cautious because as hard as it is to back something out in an org that's not managed, once you have a managed package, it gets that much harder. I mean, I'm already facing the prospect of having to a lot of dead code in the system. And I plan on basically stubbing out methods and deprecating them and get rid of the, the contents of the methods and the classes or whatever else that I have to leave there. But essentially, it's, there's going to be a lot of just what buried skeletons in the code somewhere. Yeah, I've got a folder ready for it. That's another nice thing about DX, is <laughs> I can restructure things in a folder system. I mean, it's not namespacing, but at least I can shuffle it off into a folder and say, "Okay, this is my my deprecated stuff," and let it sit there. Well, John, this is a uh, big bad Baptist from Epic, and it's I just looked at the label. It's release thirty three. If if that's assuming that's thirty three, it looks like a thirty three. I was gonna say I have I've had that, but it's seasonal, right? Well, yeah, and they, I guess each batch they changed it up some but this i just i've looked up on the website and, and release 33 was uh 2014 oh vintage uh, i'm gonna have to pour it all right hold on let's see if i can make this work serve yourself no i'm not gonna make this work 
have to we need a bigger can we get a weight a big counterweight a bigger like a heavy counterweight to go on the end of that i mean that little thing that's on there right now is a joke if you look at the that counterweight at the end of it do you not know what i'm talking about no i do i just don't know no, I do. I mean, that doesn't that, do anything. <clears throat> you, need well, a, you need a heavy weight on any of that. Yeah. If we can get one of those, like, what, what are they using in, uh, like, big television studio? Sandbag, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying something new out with the mic. What's different? It's off to the side where this uh, footstool usually is. Where is that normally? Right here. In front of you? Yeah. Okay. But it's really annoying. I kick it. Yeah. That seems better. So I figured I'd. I don't really use my computer very often, especially since I don't, I'm not good at taking titles. <laughs> so I figured I'd try this setup and see if it works. I'm a little more relaxed. No, but uh, getting back to our topic, I, I, I am learning a lot of new things. A lot of it's exciting. Some of it's, some of it's cool. Some of it's not cool. I haven't really gotten to the point where I'm able to kind of tell a story around it just yet. It's just like a lot of little things, situational things that I come across. And it's just, anytime I'm having to, research something or figure something out. I'm just having to dig for hours. And I'll tell you, I've spent, I've spent days where I thought I did nothing but sat there and stared at my screen and read a bunch of stuff, read a bunch of code, and just thought I wasted my day. Oh, only, no, only a week later to come across a situation where I needed that information and to be able to jump in. So it's, it's kind of, it's been a lot of emotional up and downs because there, there are days and weeks where I felt like, man, I... I read this code base. I don't understand it. I don't understand what they were trying to do. I feel dumb. But then something comes up and I'm able to kind of do something and draw a line somewhere that goes, okay, I know where that stupid code is at. I think I know yeah. why it's broken because it's doing that stupid thing that I saw that I didn't understand. Now I know that I can fix that. Just over, over time and reading and debugging tons of code, you start to piece together enough information that you... Over time, it takes time. Mm -hmm. You start to become what you would what you would consider to be slightly productive. It's like, yes, <laughs> yeah. Like like this week, I was tasked with um, changing the parent for some tasks that were getting created. They were getting moved. They were getting attached to an object, but I need to get them attached to a different object. <laughs> spent me half. I spent half half the day going through. <laughs> you the know, like. Irish for a second. I spent half me day. What was that? <laughs> what, what in the world was that? Is this for your Irish? <laughs> Brew with Lucky Charms. Uh, I don't like Lucky Charms. <laughs> okay, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I had some. My kids wanted some, oh, and I no, had some. Oh, no. <laughs> too sugary. Oh. But uh, what was I saying? I don't know. I, We're talking about just being marginally productive after. Oh, yeah. You know. For those fields, I spent half a day reading code trying to figure out where – I knew where I could do it, but I didn't understand what would happen if I did it. Because I – it's not only just knowing where to change code, but understanding the ramifications of it. Because I don't know how much code is, is pointing to the same code or if it was – if it's just written specifically for this or not. Because, again, they tried to abstract it, but they had the wrong abstractions. Yeah. And so I, I – I had to do a lot of reading and figuring out and then make the change and do a lot of testing. And there, there's no there's no front-end testing yeah, on this either. Right. So that's another problem I got to fix. Yeah, because you you can't you can't do anything with confidence on the front end because you don't know if you're breaking things. Yeah. But on the testing front, since we're going to that, that hole, um, I think it seems like everyone in the Salesforce world has bought on to Jest as the framework to use with Lightning Web Components. Okay. I've never used it, so I think that's the hole I'm going to go down, but... I don't know if there's any other recommendations anyone else has on 
a testing framework to use with Lightning, but Jest seems to be the one. And- I always like to go with, unless there's a reason not to, like if, when a community has really attached to something and they support it and they're, you know, whatever, I always, I try not to go against the grain unless I have a really good reason. Yeah, that, that's kind of my thought too. At least <clears throat> there'll be others doing it and I can find a blog post on it or something that might help me. So that's probably the road I'm going to go down this week. I did do some more research into kind of web browser automation testing. And I I was quick to blame Salesforce, but I think in general, the issue is more with the Shadow DOM. So apparently everyone in the world who's trying to adopt Shadow DOM is going to have these issues with these Selenium type testing frameworks Hmm. because you can't get into the components within the Shadow DOM. Apparently there is a shadow root that you can try to use to, to and then try to traverse the tree below it to try to find your components. But it's it's just a place where the technology for testing automation hasn't caught up with the technology of what browsers support. Why would why would the test driver though, like in like in the case of Selenium, why would it need to access the shadow DOM? It just needs access like visible stuff that's on that's on the screen, right? Well, it these are like push buttons that are that are there, visible, that are in the DOM. It, I don't know why I'd have to go to Shadow DOM. Yeah, I don't know either. But I, I know with at least Salesforce in particular, in in terms of Aura framework, it just every time you refresh, all the there's no all the IDs and everything get changed. So there's yeah. nothing to hook to. Hmm. And and I think with the Shadow DOM, it's it it's maybe the same story. I don't know. Maybe all the way it renders the components within the Shadow DOM, it. There's no hook. There's yeah. no nothing to say this ID is this element, so then I can grab the text and evaluate it. So I think that's some of the challenges, is just finding the hierarchy where it is because you can't rely on IDs or anything specific. I've, I've just gotten aware, because I have done products, but where we did significant uh, Selenium, like big Selenium test suites. The problem is I mean, you run into, and, and, there's, and there are ways to engineer to, to make it better and everything, but the problem you run into generally is, is they're considered brittle. I mean... Some designer changes something minor, or you think it's minor, or whatever, and it breaks like a hundred different Selenium tests, and they're they're a pain in the butt to go fix, and they're slow, you know. So, you know, as with any test suite, mm-hmm. the um, the more tests you have, the more. I mean, that that's just that's also a liability. I mean, it it's a liability that it, it's a cost. It's a cost of maintaining a test suite. Now, that cost that test suite also hopefully provides you a lot of value, right? But in the case of Selenium, it's like this: these are this is a really expensive test suite. And are we getting our value out of it? And should we use Selenium in a different way, which is now leading to what I was gonna, what I was thinking, which was um, I'm not even using any actually automated browser tests at all. But the more recent times that I have, I've done a strategy of just using Selenium for almost like smoke tests, like and and really just for part of the part of really for automated builds, like a, a nightly or something where you. Um, you have a Selenium test that run and just make sure like did the screen come up? Was there was the login screen there? Could you log in? Yeah. And what and did, did the menu display? Just it's it's trying to catch like some horrible bug in an automated process because anytime you do a re, you know a release, um, if assuming you've got some kind of like periodic release process, it's not like people aren't humans aren't going to look at it. And and I just I don't know. It's, it's a, I I also am in the camp of I don't think there's any substitute for some manual testing when it comes yeah. to UI stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll get there where it's like easy. It's, you know, it's not so damn expensive to maintain a huge, you know, browser test test suite, but it's it's just expensive nowadays still. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's just more about the smoke testing is being able to catch some of those regressions that, that may or may not happen. I'm not really interested in 
buttoning down every field and making sure every input and negative testing every input from a browser perspective. It's more just catching catching those really obvious ones. I mean, that's the most embarrassing thing about a product is releasing something and just having a blatant, embarrassing, just button not clickable yeah, bug yeah. on the screen. And unfortunately, I'm having to move forward with a code base that I didn't develop and I don't have a lot of confidence in. So I have a lot of I'm not confident in in the in, in any release. So every release I'm on edge. And so that's driven me towards what can I do about testing? What can I do to kind of find some of these things as I make <clears throat> modifications to see if I've broken significantly anything else? You know what? You know, I've got a book recommendation for any any situation in life. Um, oh, there's a book for that. Yeah. There, there <laughs> actually is a book for that. And it's, I believe it's called Working With Legacy Code. I think it's Michael Feathers. Let me look. Working With Legacy Code. It's it's pretty old now. Working effectively with legacy code, Michael Feathers. Um, that's a pretty good book, and it. I think you would really. I think it would very much speak to your situation you're in right now. Mm. I've got it if you want to borrow it. I think I have the hard copy. Okay. Of course, you're going to keep it for 15 years, like you did my freaking uh, Gang of Four book. Depends on how good of a book it is. <laughs> it's pretty good. Four and a half stars on Amazon. I mean, you can't beat, beat Gang of Four. But I mean, one of the things he talks about in there is like one of the first things you do, like. So in your situation where you are, you're any, any of these, I mean, it's a really common situation. You start a new job or get a new project and it's a ton of code. Every, everyone that written it is gone. There's none to few to no tests. And one of the first things he talks about doing is start is, is, is starting to build um, a test suite. And it's usually around end to end stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of work your way in. And then, and then the question is like, when is it enough or, or how, you know, what do you, you need something, though. You need something. You need to start somewhere on. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just start doing a really basic end to end test that cover just the, mo- just the most important like use cases or whatever. Yeah, and, and just so that we start building something, we've got we know that if we break something horrible, we'll find out about it. Right. Now you're not gonna find out about it in unit test. You're, it's it's gonna have it's only you know it's gonna be when whenever the full regression or with full test suite runs, which may only be once a night or once a week or something like that. But I mean. At least you'll find out about it before you release the software. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's good. It's yeah, good I looked book. it up. I mean, that sounds in line with kind of my plan is anyways, is, is to just tar- start taking chunks out of it and expanding on it and building something better. So, Oh, was that was that audible? Probably that was audible. Yeah. That was At a, least to me. On, on I don't know if it was on the mic. Yeah, it probably was. Um, um, but another thing I've been working towards is release notes. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on release notes because I've read a few things. So I'm trying to figure out the best type of release notes to build. Do I do I go campy with it and fun and cute, or do I go very detail oriented, or am I somewhere in the middle? And I, I'm thinking I'm very detail oriented because I, I think release notes are only valuable in helping you decide whether or not this release has something in it for you. And I feel like being campy or jokingly or something just kind of devalues release notes. So I have two thoughts here. One is know your audience. And in your case, I would not be. I would not do that. What campy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, and in this, well, and also, in I don't know. And in general, I think your type of customer is the type that probably won't even read release notes. I no, mean, release will. notes in general. In general, yeah. I, and I know, I know why you say they will because I know who you're talking about, and they probably will. But um, in general. Across a lot, you know, a big number of just the, the the general type of customer for that product, I don't think is going to read release notes. I mean, just based on I've, Salesforce admins I've seen that just, 
That's why I think I'm going to end up somewhere in the middle. I think I'm going to have a very top-level bullet-oriented release note that kind of just says, here's the improvements, here's the fixes, all that kind of stuff. But then below it would have the details that I think someone may or may not need. The other thing is that given the amount of stuff on your plate, which is basically infinite at this point, um, I would do also, I would keep it simple and not, I would try to spend as little... I would just look at every everything that went into a release, look at all the tickets, and like the ones that are... The ones you want to communicate, you would want to communicate to the customer about, just for each of those, write, write a bullet, a really quick bullet, and just. I, I I think I'll get there, but unfortunately, right now, because of the code base, because of the history of it, because of the lack of quality testing and ownership of the code, it has caused some distrust among customers. And my my goal is to try to rebuild that trust. But yeah. in doing that, I need to build that trust, and part of that is to give them more details than I normally would in release notes. I'm certainly not a fan of over-expanding on release notes, and especially when it comes to bug fixes. But in this case, because I'm trying to build trust with some very long or some very existing customers that are pretty important, yep. I want to provide that details. Eventually, I do want to scale them back to where they're strictly bullet form and they're very kind of quick snippets, you know, little snack, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, but at, at this point in time, I do need to add details. But I'll, I was also thinking about my next step. Okay, once I build that trust and I'm into a normal release cycle, I don't want to spend a lot of time on release notes. And, you know, what direction do I take it? Do I just kind of... Enterprise customers trust the vendors that take them out to dinner. If you want to build trust, that's oh, how you do it, John. You got to take them out to dinner. I huh? knew I had a trust clip in there. <laughs> I was just like waiting for you to... You're not going on there. I'm like, I'm waiting for you to pause. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pause because you'll cut me off. <laughs> that's true. That's why you're right about that. You'll change topics on me. And I had some stuff I wanted to get to today, so... <clears throat> not good. I like it when John comes with something on his mind. Uh, I makes for a mission. good show. Well, we have. There's been some news. We haven't talked. Not not nothing super major that I. Think well, a new got. acquisition. Uh so there was the click. Did we talk about the click tool? No, not. Click we didn't even talk about it. Click no. software. It happened last week, but yeah. So okay, so th- this was uh, on the grand scheme of things, not a large acquisition for Salesforce because only it was only like one point something billion dollars, which is. Uh, at this point, I think Benioff could shake his couch and uh, that much money would fall out of it. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I would love to be his couch sweeper. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I want, I, you know I, what? It would yield nothing. I can see, Everything's electronic, and knowing Benioff, everything, he's got. He's already got the Apple card. I, I can see Ben, or Ben, Ben, Benioff, ben. Mark, what's his name? Oh, you're on. Ben, call ben, ben, how are you ben, on nickname yeah. terms? Um, what's his wife's name, Lynn? Or, Lynn, I think. Yeah, I can yeah. see him saying, Lynn, why? Why does our cleaner not even require us to pay them? Why do they insist on working for free? I don't understand that. <laughs> um, hey, why did our cleaner buy a new Range Rover? <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, so okay, okay, so Click is, I had to look this up. I didn't know what they were. They're a field service. Uh, what's it? Field service. That's what's yeah. called, right? Yeah, they're a field service company. Yep. So they compete with. Salesforce, Service Max, Service Max right? Yeah. Is the other is one of the big ones. Um, that's ser- what's Service now? What's that? Oh, that's different. That's um, IT management, I think. IT service. Um, anyway, I was reading an article about Click, and I was like, oh, this is this is an interesting nugget. Um, so this is where was this from? Were Digi- they Lightning before Lightning? Diginomica or Diginomica? I don't know. The extent of Click's long-standing relationship with, or sorry, of Salesforce's long-standing relationship with Click software is something that Salesforce likes to keep under wraps. Dum dum dum. Actually, I have a clip for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, when the CRM giant first entered the FSM market, oh god, field service management, 
Back in 2016, with the launch of Field Service Lightning, this wasn't a homegrown product of its own. I didn't know that. To speed its time to market, Salesforce licensed large chunks of IP from Click Software, whose developers effectively wrote Field Service Lightning. Wow. I wonder if that's why, out of all of the other clouds, part of it was native to Salesforce. You, when you enable the license, there are parts of it that were native to Salesforce that existed in the admin tools, but there was also this package that you installed as well. I wonder if that was to protect some of that IP. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. I mean, Salesforce can easily protect his IP anyway, right? I guess. But I just mean IP that was on their servers and not... Well, I mean, it's all on their servers, yeah. right? It's all in the cloud. So anyway, it goes on to say, despite uh, Salesforce's coyness about such deals, Salesforce actually quite likes this model of using third-party developers for specialist software. Another example is the financial services cloud, which incorporates elements of the bank operating system. The, the, is that a boss? A boss-based bank operating system, yeah. <laughs> uh, developed by Salesforce native, Salesforce native partner, Encino? Encino? I don't know how you pronounce this. It's just an N-C-I-N-O. Encino. Okay. It's a useful way of building a credible presence in a market without having to do anything from scratch or make an outright acquisition. That's not a bad strategy. I mean, we've known Salesforce on numerous occasions has tried to get industry-focused and have somewhat failed at the usual ways of doing it, setting up committees, setting up all these different things to try to collect requirements and building out these tools. We're having a couple of a couple of developers uh, put together a, an, a managed package and yeah. try to go out and sell that as a vertical <laughs> solution. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe this is maybe we're seeing a strategy that's actually working for them. I mean, I mean, field service did. has been growing. I mean, I, oh. when I worked in that space, there was a lot of demand for it. It's a very complicated system. So you and. It, you really have to know your stuff, and you really need some real world experience with it before you're good at and, it. And when you've told that story about how complicated it is, that's when I thought to myself, "There's, no, I don't see how Salesforce built this internally. It just came too fast and well, out of nowhere. So it got, and, but now we know. Maybe, but a lot what of do you the complicated. Unless you think this is articles a lie. No, it's not. Yeah. But, how can I say this? <laughs> a lot of the complication became your your thing is like not. It's because your microphone's all cocked off to the side there. There you go. Sorry. Well, that's much. That's like a thousand times better. Yeah. One of these. From here on, my audio is going to be great. Days, I know, I, and I'm going to have to somehow. I'm going to mark this time because I'm going to have to like EQ and fix everything before this time. <laughs> <laughs> Just put Einstein on it. Yep. I uh, got it. I got it done. John, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. So it, it had a lot of features. It had a lot going for it. So there was an aspect of it had so much complexity that. In order to implement it successfully, you had to kind of simplify it, which meant a lot of add-on automation on top of it. So that's where the complexity came in, is trying to simplify the complexity of all the features that were available in it and trying to simplify it for customers based on their needs. And it did require a fair amount of automation. And when you're trying to blend a fair amount of process builder stuff, because that's how it ends up starting, and then trying to add in custom code, you know, it becomes this whole complicated process of trying to vet all that out and find the right solution for the right fit. But that that was the problem. It was really complex, a lot of flexibility, but in order to kind of make it simple and easy to use, you had to layer on quite a bit on it. Yep. No, makes sense. 
Anyway, yeah, this article goes on to talk about how the, I guess the reason Click or the, the idea was for Click was that Click was still going to be seen as the higher end offering. Oh, here, I guess this is our quote. I think the original intent was that we, being Click, would would be working on the more complex environments that probably required more customization and more services. I think Salesforce is really, really good at rapid deployments and implementing what's available out of the box. So I think that there's a natural bifurcation. I hate that word. Along these lines, in terms of simple, rapid, perhaps a little bit more down market. Ooh, you're down market. What's that? <laughs> Uh, versus larger, more complex, heavier service requirements. So. Well, it, it sounds like a. we want to buy you, but we want to make sure this works. So awesome. let's, let's build it, and we'll get the payoff in the end if it all works. Right? Yeah, and it makes me think that Salesforce probably did try to buy one of these people um, before they took the strategy, but they probably just couldn't get, couldn't come to a, a terms on a price. I mean, that or... Just because they had, they had a... One or two. Aptus is in this space too, right? Or is that something different? No, who was it? Oh, ServiceMax. That was their, their big Salesforce partner. Yeah. And they, it's like, oh, weird. They did that to their partner. And maybe, they, I mean, we, you know, you don't, you never know all these things, but maybe they, you know, there might have been talks to say, hey, let's, you know, let's talk about what it would look like buying you guys. No, I'm sure there were talks. I, I just think what, I think they had to be strategic on the acquisitions they did make. So I'm sure all of this was at, on the table at some point and they had to pick and choose which ones they were going to do. And I'm betting ServiceMax was a pretty penny. Yeah. And and it probably didn't span across the verticals like they're more, they're more bigger acquisitions like MuleSoft does and um, what was the other one? Uh, Tableau. Mm -hmm. Those span all the verticals or can span all the verticals. So it's it's easier to justify those bigger acquisitions than probably spending what ServiceMax wanted on something like that. Man, speaking of Tableau and what was the other one? Um, MuleSoft. I read a really dumb article. <clears throat> actually have it here about it's really talked about tableau and MuleSoft a lot but but listen listen to this and tell me what you think so the key to salesforce's future is not to make a bigger and better salesforce uh, with financial acquisitions that are unlikely to move the needle rather it will require strategic planning to reinvent itself from public cloud offerings to a more hybrid approach with both private cloud and on-premise options if this is the motivation behind the re recent acquisitions, and I believe it is, this will be a crucial pivot for a company that's been adamantly a public a public cloud from its inception. It's dumb. Well, I, there's two things I disagree with on that. One is that when people talk about public cloud versus like private cloud and hybrid, they're talking about infrastructure, not mm -hmm. software as a service. And Salesforce is, I know they've got some, they got some platformy stuff, right? But they're not really infrastructure service, and those terms don't really apply. No, and this person's just getting all kinds of wires crossed here. Yeah. Also, the 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 offerings aren't meant to enable a hybrid approach. It's all meant to prop up the cloud. Yeah, it's and, all meant to take data way, that's on premise that can't be moved and get it into the cloud. And you are never going to run Salesforce on your pri in your private data center. Yeah. That's never happening. It's a pipe dream. Forget it. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I don't even think it would be a good idea. I mean, I'm not saying that just because I think Salesforce is stubborn. I'd say it's a bad idea. It's never going to happen. Yeah. And this is a long article. It was in Market Watch. I was like, God, this this guy just gets everything wrong. Actually, I think it was not a guy. It was Beth Kinding, Kinding, Kind, Kind, Kindig. But I say that all the time. I mean, they take these buzzwords and they take these things and they just kind of spin it into this narrative, and it's. It's completely wrong. Uh, that's that's how. This and you can tell reads. they're mixing up the terms. You can yeah. tell they're mixing up the technologies. You can tell 
it, it especially happens with machine learning and AI and everything oh, else. I, I mean, I don't, re- I don't, I mean, the only time I'll read anything about machine learning or AI is in more scientific or engineering oriented publications or forums because the stuff you get on business sites is just drivel. Yeah. It's stupid. And it's, I mean, it's also what the companies have told them to say about them. So just don't, don't do it. I, I will not abide. But the dude abides. <laughs> <laughs> when Salesforce was built, there was a battle of market share between cloud versus on-premise. Okay, let's back up. Salesforce was built in late 90s. Was there a battle of market share between cloud and on-premise? Nope. Okay. The cloud was held as the easier of the two to deploy. Again, fiction. A scalable option. For sales and marketing, which do not have highly sensitive company data. False. Yep. Putting information to the cloud was an easy choice. False. And Salesforce was well positioned for the cloud migration to customer relationship management. I mean, this... This this, this thing's like seven pages of this. The best SaaS and PaaS solutions for these companies uh, can work across data no matter where it resides rather than focusing the data into the public cloud. Microsoft answers this demand while Salesforce has historically pushed back against on-premise options. Oh, also, this is funny. There's another thing I just highlighted. MuleSoft has contributed to Salesforce products such as Customer 360. I think that's also false because they announced Customer 360 before the Mule acquisition even closed. Now, it was part of it. Does though. Mule play into that? Yeah. Vision? Okay, sure. Um, The laws of evolution have proven that to survive, one must change. Salesforce must adapt if the company wants to capture the enterprise-level addressable market. Mm. I completely disagree because they are already capturing that market and (laughs) they're not on-premise. Microsoft understands the needs of enterprise companies and offers hybrid options for private cloud and on-premise, whereas Salesforce's image has been centered around the public cloud. I, I know it's not really again. I mean, yeah, Salesforce, like Facebook would be a public cloud. Um, Salesforce isn't. No, when I think of public cloud, I mean, again, I'm thinking never. Well, yeah, I'm I mean, of, yeah, okay. So you know, now they got me doing it, but right, they got me trying to define the terms. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, okay. So if Salesforce stubbornly refuses to serve the enterprise hybrid market, again, it ain't happening. You're not gonna. I mean, the, I guess the closest we came, there is there's precedent for this. Do you remember? How do I have a clip for this? Probably not. It was the uh, the HP SuperPod, John. Oh yeah, that's right, SuperPods. <laughs> that's back when I could do uh, live echo and different effects. Remember, I would turn the turn the echo up and yeah, I don't know the, what happened. I, well, I don't, we don't. I don't have that now. Let's start a Patreon so we can get better equipment. <laughs> <laughs> The sad part is the equipment we have now is way more expensive than we were, what we were using back then. And I lost my effects capabilities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where was I? Um, yeah, if Salesforce is going to stubbornly refuse to enter the hybrid, enterprise hybrid market. Oh, instead transition Tableau's customer base into their cloud rather than using Tableau's strength in on-premise to diversify and grow this market, then iMicrosoft could be, that's just a typo, but I like to read those, then iMicrosoft, just to prove there's no editors, could become the leader in enterprise SaaS and cloud platforms, and Salesforce will not be able to capture the growth that the current stock valuation indicates. Just, this, this whole article is like, wow, you're getting, you're getting it's, it's everything that, wrong. It's weird that they created this convoluted thing to talk about Salesforce's ability to kind of grow in the, and gain market share when there's so many other ways to pick at that that beast. And the only, I mean, the there, there's only 
a few companies that are that are even having to deal with this, uh, having to pr- provide hybrid cloud capabilities. It's Oracle really, or Microsoft. Well, and, and Amazon and Google. No, not even. They, so, they've, they're both all cloud platforms. What, what has Google done that was on-prem? Um, oh, I don't know. Now you're going to get me. You're not going to get me making stuff up. I just feel like they're... I just feel like they're they're doing a lot of things. Now they have legacy to deal with, sure. Yeah. But I think in terms of just offerings, they've always kind of been. You know, you're, sorry, you're kind of right. Actually, you know who I think is doing more of the hybrid stuff. It is it, well, micro. No, I think you're right. Microsoft and Oracle. That was you're totally right on that. But also, I'm thinking back to more infrastructure stuff like Pivotal, for example, and uh, probably VMware too. Yeah. Like both of them are in this. They they provide like the infrastructure software, right? And that can run on public cloud, your private cloud, and it can do this hybrid stuff. So I think those are the ones that are kind of playing in that space. Yeah, but I don't, Salesforce that just makes it just makes no sense. I mean, because number one, Salesforce is not public cloud infrastructure. They they run in their own data centers. They don't even run. I mean, well, historically they've always run in their own data centers. Now, true, they are in some places they've started a transition to to using public cloud. Is it the but that's Alibaba? more that's well in AWS. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they did that. But that seemed more like a pilot. Like I don't, I don't know anyone. Or maybe there are pods, and we just don't know it that are on AWS. So I, I don't know if in the United States or, or, or oh, you're I should right. say in that's areas right. they already had data centers. I don't yeah. know they've gone to AWS yet. But in some of the net new locations, yeah. I think I think they're strongly. Yeah, you're right. It was AWS. a way to get into these other markets. But I mean, they... that's that's an implementation detail. There are software as a service and. Yeah. Do you generally, unless you're doing just crazy stuff, in which case you probably should be doing it on Salesforce, um, you, you don't even have to care. Is Salesforce going to take care of it? Whether it's Salesforce's data center or, or AWS, yep. you know, you generally are not going to have to care. That's the that's the the headline on CIO magazine. What's that? Still on Salesforce, you don't even have to care. Yeah. Or or subtitle: No one's ever gotten fired for buying Salesforce. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe so. Um, so we had a, uh, I, I don't know when this was, but Jay Janarthanen posted this like a week or two ago, and I just copied it because I thought we might want to present this. I don't even know if I can have a good answer to this, so I'll see if you do. It, it was a, must have been a Saturday morning because he said, hey, I got a Saturday morning topic. Why should I bother learning LWC and developing in Lightning when I can develop an app and say React? Or in my case, like Vue, because I prefer Vue, uh, that talks REST to Salesforce. I can find React developers for far easier than LWC Salesforce devs. There's more tooling. There's more books. Um, convince me why we need to do LWC. Because it's the new hotness. Because that's what Salesforce told you to do, dude. <laughs> I... I I th- I do think it's a better architecture, although it's hard to argue performance. I mean, even Salesforce will argue the performance benefits over LWC, over Aura, to, to make the argument to move to LWC. But my understanding is, under the hood, on Aura components, they've already started transitioning those to LWC. From a, from a, so, like, you, you pick your Aura component, but it's act technically rendering an LWC component, which gives you the performance because it's, it's taken advantage of custom elements and Shadow DOM and everything else that makes that up. So I think from a performance perspective, it's hard to argue. But I think the event system is better. The perspective on the event system is better. Um, the interaction, the security model, and how components interact from a hierarchical 
perspective. I'm trying to say that word right. I say hierarchical. Is that wrong? I don't know. I'm trying just not to butcher the word. I always stumble on it. I think it's hierarchical. Okay, hang on. Hierarchical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if I try to say it, I stumble on it. So I just, I, I remove a sil- syllable. <laughs> um, honestly, I like the organization better. I think. Well, let me from ask you. A, from let, me a, ask from you a, from a, let me ask you a dummy question here. Okay. Can I? Can I? Can my admin put my React component on a Lightning page and drag it around and stuff? If it's if it's got a Aura or Lightning, if it's no, got no. a, I said my can I, my admin no, take my no. React component? Okay, so there's one reason you're not going to compose yeah. apps out of React components. No, uh, not not in like a Lightning page. But I, again. Um, this is I'm a consultant, so I'm going to say it depends. Depends on what you're building. I mean, I got situations where, like right now, we're doing a custom community, and it's all. In this case, it's a view, mm-hmm. um, but, and that makes it because we're not, you know, there's no I, there's no notion that an that an admin is going to get there and drag and drop to change stuff or whatever. It's it's a completely custom experience that's not tied into Salesforce, except that it's tied into Salesforce, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. So I, th- I think in general, we're kind of in a history repeating itself type situation with web applications in general. Because um, essentially, if you think back in the day when we had terminals, everything was running on the server. You basically had a dumb terminal, which very little specs. It yep. just needed a screen and a way to stream video and take your input and send it to the server. And those were pretty fast because everything was running on the server. And speed depended on your network connection and the speed of the server. And then, uh, which could bog down. It could slow down. You'd be 10, 10 keystrokes ahead of the computer sometimes. And it was oh, yeah. kind of cool sometimes. Yeah, and it's weird. Details, people just, yeah, I know, and the screen catches yeah. up. Just bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, I worked at Best Buy. So, yeah, I was, and we had, I don't know, it was like, <laughs> on, oh, what was it? Was it J.D. Edwards or one of the, I don't know, yeah, I don't know what it was. Nice. But, yeah, you could... I mean, it, somehow it, buff, it was buffering your keystrokes, but I yeah. would be, I mean, I was so far ahead of the system. Yeah. <laughs> and then it seemed like we were gaining more performance because we moved, we offloaded a lot of the logic and processing to the client side. So now we had these client, client server architectures with your business layer logic in between. And, and you're, it seemed you're old like, enough to remember when client server was the big <sighs> thing, right? I called myself a client server developer. Yeah. Well, we were, I mean, that was, <laughs> and we were young then. I mean, that was, I yeah. mean, client server was a big deal in like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, the client, I mean, basically converting things from like these dumb terminal systems to, yeah. To, and we thought we were getting that performance gain. We had, we moved it to the server. So we, we offloaded the server. So the servers now, which were expensive, we could get them cheaper and we could run them cheaper because a lot of the processing was spread out. And those were always proprietary servers. They were like, you know, some kind of proprietary IBM thing or yeah. or whatever. And you could, you know, yeah, the model was to now go to go to, you know, into you know, in PC based terminals and cheap PC based servers. Yeah. And and then when the internet came about, we kind of went backwards. Well, not backwards, but it was it's a kind of went back a repeat. To dumb terminals. Yeah. It was repeat. Yep. It was all dumb terminals. Yeah. Everything was handled on the server. You just got a page and it rendered it. But now <laughs> and even in Salesforce, let's let's take Salesforce for example. Salesforce Classic, you do something, it renders on the server, and then you get a page. But now we have Lightning, and Lightning is processing all on the client side. It's doing some server. It's you're basically client server architecture. Yep. Some of it's some of the data manipulations happening on the server, but the UI is doing all the That's logic and rendering. As much as we try to push 
the compute back to the server, the client just keeps pulling it back yeah. to the client, doesn't and it? And so now we're having now we're having these kind of variant performance issues where it depends on your machine. But on top of that, now we have browsers sandboxing and splitting the memory space between tabs. And so now we have a further degradation of performance because now we now we're competing with all the other tabs and our Facebook tabs and everything else. The browser, which is technically another operating system, is now trying to manage. And so it's a it's worse than it was before. Yeah. And I don't know that we're going in the right direction. In fact, I'm not bought and sold off on this whole single page client side no, which logic. Is, which stuff. is why the pendulum has yet again swung back somewhat. And we we're getting a so like you react and view and all these areas there. They're doing a lot of uh, server, what is it called? Server-side um, rendering, SSR, server-side mm-hmm. rendering. So, you you know, you hit a, a page, and instead of it just downloading nothing but JavaScript onto your machine, you actually get a, a rendered HTML with some critical CSS yeah. and initial JavaScript. And then, and then, like on the client side, kind of the app boots up a little bit and, and takes over, I guess, can mm-hmm. do more dynamic stuff without... Without going to the server to re-render screens, yeah, yeah. I mean, server-side rendering is a well. Even gaming is going that way as well. We had these huge high-spec consoles, and now you have Google and Apple both coming out with gaming services that run on the server and is basically streaming video to your computer, TV, whatever, and and uh, of course streaming your input back and forth. So it's it's a lot of this kind of. History repeating itself, and I'm not sure it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, we always get history always repeats itself, and we always get through it. Yeah, you know, we'll get through it. I just I'm not sold on this being an architecture that can stay around long term. I have a feeling it's going to backfire a bit, or either that, or it's going to get better. But the problem is that the browser itself has so much to compete with. It's just another layer of abstraction. It's like having an OS on top of your OS. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, that was my, always my problem with web applications. I, you remember back in the day, I said web, web applications were going to make it. Of course, I've been proven wrong. But I was always a fan of native desktop applications because I thought the performance was superior. That web applications would not make it because you had this dynamic of operating system browser trying to be the operating system. Yeah, and and... You were most right back when you first started saying that, and since then, you've become less and less right, and now we're at the point of WebAssembly, and you're becoming basically now pretty much wrong. I would say <laughs> you're, yeah, you're about 98% wrong now. There's yeah. probably still some cases where you just need a 100% native to the computer's OS you know, application, but I mean, with WebAssembly, you're 98% there, which is why I say you're 98% wrong now. Yeah. I have I have two more things that I absolutely have to get, actually three more things I absolutely have to get to. Well, let you control. I had, it. More, I had way more content than what I thought, so I don't know if you. Got, um, this is just funny, so I had to. I can find the actual. Did I? Hang on. Hopefully, I have the right thing. Um, oh, I don't have the right. Hang on, one second. Vamp for me, John. Sing a song for us. Well, I saw. I saw <laughs> okay, never mind. There apparently is an article Got on how it. to protect and clean your Apple Card. Well, we'll get that in a minute. Okay. Chief executives from the Business Roundtable, include the, including the leaders of Apple and J.P. Morgan, argued that companies must invest in, in, in employees and deliver value to customers, which is the most dumbest, obvious thing I've ever heard in my life. But anyway, keep going. Uh, the American dream is alive but fraying, says Jamie Dimon, of all people, chief executive of uh, J.P. Morgan. For major corporations, shareholders used to be everything. 
but no more. No, it's the stakeholders. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn it. Do I not have a clip of that? You should. I don't. Uh, How do I not? Maybe I spelled steak like the food, not the... No, I don't. Sorry, I don't have anything. Anyway, um, <laughs> a coalition of executives representing some of America's largest companies issued a statement. We got a statement, John, from... It's official. From the people that run our our government, basically. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. Yeah. <laughs> They've redefined the purpose of a corporation. Well, oh, that, no. That's amazing, considering that uh, a corporation is a legal construct, but okay. Again, they pretty much run our government. Uh, no longer should the primary job of a corporation, no longer, as of now... They've declared these like seven middle-aged old white dudes. And yes, I pulled the old <laughs> white dude thing. Uh, well, no, you're, you're an old white dude, so you can say it, right? <laughs> yes, is that how it works? So it's not racist, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> no longer should the primary job of a corporation be to advance the interests of shareholders, the coalition known as the Business Roundtable said in a statement. Now companies must also invest employees deliver value to customers, and deal fairly and ethically with their suppliers. While each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose, we share a fundamental commitment to all of our stakeholders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there, there's, there's another another example of Benioff being ahead of the curve. Uh, he's always ahead of the curve, man. I'm telling you. what he, if I he's, all- he has a crystal ball somewhere or something. He's just, he's, he's an X-Man who can tell the future. What do I always, what is like my number one theme with Benioff? That he stays ahead of it. He gets ahead. He, gets ahead of he is ahead of all of these things. Yeah. Uh, we commit our, we commit to deliver value for, to all of them for the future success of our companies, our communities, and our country. That's why you still have his picture up. <laughs> I do. You, you really honestly admire him. Oh, yeah. No, he, well, he charges my phone. I mean, I, I mean, you could have easily thankful. replaced that picture with a, with a picture of your family long ago, but he's still there. You know, I could have, except I don't, I don't, who has pictures, uh, physical pictures anymore? I do. I mean, we have some hanging up, but those were something we got printed, you know, years ago. You just sent it to CVS and they print it like in an hour. No. Oh. Maybe I should do that then. <laughs> okay. Um, did you hear about the Hawaiian That's culture? That one got the, the Salesforce got is in hot water for its Hawaiian yes. uh, culture oh preparation. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I personally file this in the category of, well, God, I can't even say it. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can comment on this, John. I, I, I wish Salesforce hadn't caved into that. There was nothing wrong with, with what they were doing. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing disgenuous about it. There was nothing but, but harmful by today's, about it. But, but on but today's it, standards. And it was genuine. Benioff conceived Salesforce on a beach in Hawaii. He lives there. He, he has ties to that community. There is nothing wrong with what he and Salesforce is doing. Yeah. And yet they're having to to, to back down because some people got faux upset. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not his culture. He is, he is taking its culture. And nothing it, is anybody's culture. We're supposed to be a melting uh, pot of cultures. We experience each other's cultures through food and clothing and music and art. Yeah. Why are we shitting all over I that? Know. I don't know. Which is why we have white guys who are rappers and black guys who are country singers, right? I mean, yeah. God bless America, right? I mean, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I again, I feel like <laughs> what you, happened to the saying? Let's let's all. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that statement. <laughs> wow, that was the beer. <laughs> Cut that, please. <laughs> I'm gonna mark that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we're not live. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've um, never heard that, huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> I've never heard that. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of. Again, I don't think you, I don't think you can I don't think you can talk on that. I don't think I can say even say anything about. It. I can't tell. You, I can't say what my opinion is because no matter what you say, you're going to be wrong. But wait, the weird thing is, that I'm not sure if Salesforce will get away with this or not. They're basically saying that they're going to they're going to dial it back a little bit. So that's the thing. It's like, are you? I think they're wanting to keep the Ohana well, specifically. <clears throat> um, where where is it? Uh, okay, as a part of our commitment to equality. How did, why is this an equality? How, what does this even have to do with equality? That's why, like, we've taken words like equality and we've made them completely meaningless. Just it's, it's meaningless. Okay, we have made the decision to move away from our Hawaiian terminology. Whoppers, we've made this decision to move away from Hawaiian terminology while preserving a few key terms. Term being short for terminology, core to our company's f- philosophy and culture, which they're saying you appropriated. You you can't. So you're only going to appropriate a little bit? I mean, that that's the only thing that I that I don't get about this. Well, I mean, that's the problem with anything. It, it's it's always 100 or zero. It's never, it, there's no gray area. There's no nuance. It's either full on or full off. I, I know, yeah. There's which, a, which is It's which zero is tolerance. It's yeah. zero tolerance. Yeah. Which is sad. This, th- this, is, this, this is sad. This is actually unfortunate. I feel sorry for Salesforce in, you know, that they're... I mean, especially Salesforce. I mean, a company that's, that's done nothing but do its best to to make sure everyone is included, to make sure everyone is and so feels I'm, comfortable. I'm sure, I'm sure Salesforce pays these these Hawaiian uh, Hawaiians to come out for all their events and everything. They probably are well paid, and and I know Benioff contributes a lot to Hawaii. Well, he donated he, stuff to the museum and stuff. Artist, he donated art, that that arts, fake the, the fake the fake, fake, fake art, but the, <laughs> the gesture was there. <laughs> he had good intentions. I don't yeah. think he know he get, was getting scammed at well, the time. No, but I mean, <laughs> and maybe it was still real. We don't know. We're not. You know, he's he's still convinced. So. Yeah. No, it's just sad. Uh, it is sad because I don't, you know, it's one of those things. That, well, so we have this local brewery, Manhattan Project, and they have a relatively new, it's been out for, I'm guessing, six months. Uh, but, a, okay, a Manhattan Project. So their their whole theme is around, you know, nuclear technology. Oh. Because the Manhattan Project, well, that's where they we developed a nuclear bomb. It's called Manhattan Makes Project. Makes sense. Right? For people who don't know, know that. Um, and so their beers are called, um, what are their beers called? Um, Half-Life. And there's, yep. of course, Double Half-Life. There's uh, their Pilsner, which I, I I love the name, even though it's kind of a dig at Pilsner, although it sells for them really well, so I think they like it now. Uh, Necessary Evil. Mm. So for them, it's funny, people want a Pilsner. And the, I know the brewer, his name's Jeremy, actually, coincidentally. Um, and he's, he's, not a, he's, not a lo- he's not big into loggers. So to him... It was a necessary yes. evil. <laughs> and what was a nuclear bomb for us? A necessary evil. Arguably. Um, even Einstein yeah. railed against it and but they hated have, that he's the one that helped in, invent it. And they have a beer called Plutonium-239. So they're, they're all these nuclear. And they have they have a relatively new one called Bikini Atoll. And, and Which is what SpongeBob is based off of. It, it is. Bikini uh, Bottom. Yep. Yep. And so if you look at Bikini Atoll, it's it's an atoll, which is, I don't even know what that means. It's like, this, it's like a hollowed out. In this case, Bikini Atoll is like an incredibly small mm-hmm. little I land. It's, and it's like just, it's like the border. It's just the border is above water and it's just like sand you know um and that's where we you know there were i think in the 40s we did a bunch of nuclear testing there and there were i think i said about 40 families that lived on the bikini atoll they were all which under- we mo- underwater tests to be specific i don't know if they all were yeah I, they were they were okay yeah um anyway we we moved relocated those families and they i don't know how much but i do uh, according to reporting we still they still get paid actually the descendants of these families yeah still getting compensated 
We moved them off of that island and then did nuclear testing there. And uh, no one lives there today. No, it's still it's unsafe. Still unsafe. Yep. So, so no one lives there. But the 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 director of the Health and Human Services Department of the Marshall Islands has written Manhattan Project a letter saying a long letter saying this is offensive. Blah blah blah. All this stuff you've appropriated, and we demand you stop. It's weird that. Did they use the words appropriate? That sounds I don't weird. Know. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but I mean, it was in USA Today. And, I mean, that's little, little bitty Dallas brewery. They're small. Hmm. I mean, compared to. Well, I can't brewery, complain. Brewery I railed brewery. against Salesforce for appropriating Einstein. So <laughs> I'm not one to talk. I, and and I, w- I always wanted on Einstein. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm surprised they can get away with this. Well, they're paying Einstein's estate. <laughs> well, that's how you get away with it. You write checks. <laughs> you license it. But sometimes that's not good enough, and these things become double, double-edged swords. You know, mm-hmm. you live by the live by the uh, political correctness, die by the political correctness. I, I, I just hope it's a pendulum. It all swings back because I'm. I don't know. It, it's. It seems. I don't know. It seems to be getting out of control to me. It is. So. And I mean, to that, <laughs> I want to say. You know, are we supposed to get mad that um, that people in China eat McDonald's? No. I mean, I'm, I don't know. In fact, I mean, from what I've seen, the, their think. McDonald's are better than ours. No, Japan has better McDonald's or Korea. I'm trying to think of what, what cul- actual culture Other cultures America, America have, like, better exported. things than us. So, like, there's 7-Elevens <laughs> in, like, Korea and Japan. Like, watch Mikey Chan on, on YouTube. If you want a tip and you're a foodie and you just want someone who just eats a ton of food and goes everywhere, Mikey Chan on, on YouTube— uh, Mikey Chen, Strictly okay. Dumpling, I think is his channel. It's pretty good. Okay, um, but yeah, he go, <laughs> not only he will go then travel and try good stuff, but he'll he'll go visit their McDonald's or he'll go visit their Seven Elevens, and I'm I'm amazed at the type of stuff they have. Just and how just like like local stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how it's like a place to go. Like people actively go there. I mean, people go there here, but they go here for different reasons. It's not like you kind of go there because it's convenient. Yeah. People are act- actively trying to go there. Hmm. I'm not. You will not catch me actively trying to go to a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I note their breakfast. The McGriddle is, is awesome. I know. They're, I mean, their breakfast is good. Although, I do, I have a Rudy's right down the road for me, though. And if you haven't had a Rudy's breakfast taco, man. First of all, the barbecue is pretty well, damn good. At least the Rudy's. When I had me. a kitchen, my wife would home make <laughs> from scratch <laughs> corn tortillas. So you can't get better breakfast tacos you'll, than that. You'll have a kitchen soon, John. I'm just saying. Soon enough. I mean, I know it's. I know it seems like it's forever away, but it'll be here before you know it. <laughs> a much improved kitchen. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure you hope so. You're spending a lot of money. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm so poor. Okay. The overages are starting. My last thing is, did you get your Apple Card? No. I, oh, really? I do want one. I haven't applied for oh, one. It took. It takes. Literally, I was approved in thirty seconds. Really? Yeah, I do want one. I got the lowest interest rate that's possible, so that's good. Did you? Did are you going to sign out of the arbitration clause? Oh, how do I do that? No, I don't know. You have to read the fine print, and you have to send a letter or email or something to somebody to get out of the arbitration clause. Yeah, I heard. Uh, what's the guy who used to do the um, the Ars Technica reviews of Mac OS all the time? Yeah, um, uh, John, John, John Syracusa. Yeah, Syracusa. Um, yeah, he was talking about that. I'm like, who, who, do people opt out of arbitration clauses? Is that even, I don't know, you could do that. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I, I read, I read the story about. on it and I read, I read the part of the fine print that they pointed to. And I'm like, 
yeah, I kind of want to opt out of that. I mean, do I do I really want to opt out of arbitration? I mean, maybe I do I really want to go through the process of like a judge or a jury trial? Well, maybe op, maybe the arbitration problem, would the, be cheaper for me. The problem with the arbitration is that Apple gets to pick the arbitrator, and their decision is final and can't be appealed. Yeah, it seems that that seems uh, that seems biased, great. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should opt out of that. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it was. <laughs> ridiculously simple and easy as you would expect from Apple, right? I mean, it is so far, like, if you're like, if Apple made a credit card, how would it work? Like, just like this. Yeah. It was I mean, the tooling is stupid easy. The, t- the tooling and everything built around it, I think is amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, talk no, about I disrupting the industry. I hope all credit cards adopt this type of format. Yeah. Well, let's see how it works first. Right. But on paper, I'm like, Sold on it. Yep. Now, I haven't received my titanium card in the mail yet, but I'll, I'll let you yeah, know. Yeah, apparently you really have to baby it. You have to put it in like a glass case at night and that really? rotates <laughs> so it stays charged. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you got to keep it out of direct sunlight so it doesn't mess up the plastic. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, there's no plastic, John. So oh, it's titanium. titanium. I'm sorry. Yeah. You got to, you don't, you know, you <laughs> you want it to rust that. or something. You don't want to rust know. or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's got some holographics or something. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, I figured, you know, if nothing else, I mean, I'll get three percent. Next time I have to get buy one of these overpriced MacBook Pros, at least I'll get three percent off of it, right? That's well, better than nothing. That's the, <laughs> funny enough. That's kind of why I want it. I want to. I'm due for a replacement notebook. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm, I just need I'm, them. To, I just need them to make one that I want. Well, I want. Uh, I want the rumored because it's not confirmed yet, but the rumored 16 inch, and I'm hoping it. It's. You know, you and I do this. We wait for the edge case new model to come out, and then we're dealing with like this stupid touch bar crap. Yeah, that's a, so. I, These notebooks that you and I have are the first release edge case, yep. brand new shiny thing. No, you're not supposed to do that. And we're supposed not supposed to wait for to, version we, two. <laughs> we we don't. <laughs> we're all waiting for the new shiny, and we're we're gonna buy the new shiny. Yeah. So I read about the 16 inch, which because what's cool about it is it's just less bezel, so the actual right. computer's the same size. Yeah. You get a bigger screen, which I'm like, okay, that's great. Um, but is it gonna have a touch bar? If they make it better, maybe I, I don't really use it though. I don't ever. I mean, use I've gotten it. used I mean, to. I've gotten I use a touch bar when I absolutely it. have yeah. to. I've gotten used to using it when I have to. But I you know what I use it for? It's my screen brightness and my and my sound level. That yep. is it. Yep. That's it. Yep. Everything else I've mapped to the to actual keyboards. I've mapped Escape to Caps well, Lock, and I, on so, occasion I'll look at it and see that an app has a button for it, and I'll click the button just to see what it does. But it's not like I'm actively looking yeah. for that. And I still have to like. I mean, I guess, I guess in IntelliJ, I mean, there's a lot of like uh, effectively illuminated cloud like. Shift Option Command F10, Shift Option Command F12. I use those all the time. Um, but I, but you know, it sucks because you always have to like look at the. I have to look because I can't feel where the key is. I have to look and see what where the F10 is illuminated. You know, it's like this thing just. Yeah, it would be cool if it was a touch bar strip that was in addition to your F keys, your whole F row. Yeah, but it's not. It replaced yeah. that F row. That's the problem with it. Yeah, that is the problem with it. It would have been fine if it was in addition to the keyboard, not replacing a huge chunk of the keyboard. I agree. I think that would have made it a hundred times better, or at least people would complain less about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't bother me that it's there. It bothers me that I don't have an escape key and F keys. Those F and keys. Those F and keys. <laughs> Title. Um. All right, John. Well, that's again, we are way past congenitally due. or genetically and unable to record a short episode. So we will tack on some of the conversation with Mr. Shane and what else? And we'll probably do that again next week. Let's chip away at it until we're done. Sorry you couldn't be here for that. (laughs) That would have been been fun for you to be here, but... I was having important conversations. Yeah, you were. 
It was good, though. Yesterday was just busy. We're both. Yeah. You and I are both are crazy busy these days. I mean, everything is, getting time to do anything is incredibly difficult. But I feel like I have a chance. Whereas before, I felt like I was never, I never had a chance. That was because you were in consulting, right? Well, consulting, no, is, no. It was uh, just the wrong, t- the, the, it was not a good fit for me. Okay. That thing I'll just did, say that. That thing you did for 10 years was not a good no, fit? No, 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 no. Oh, the, no, the, the last the, company okay. was not a good fit for me. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, we have an awesome Slack. So if you're not in the Slack, please join. I think we just hit 800. Did mm, you see that? That reminds me. Okay. I wanted to extend an olive branch. To? I wanted to make sure that everyone goes out and on the socials and says, hey, socials. join. Socials. Let's get social. <laughs> social. Social. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be a, a fan of the podcast to join the community. You don't even have to be a listener of the podcast to join the community. You could be a listener of another podcast, to wit, Cloud Code Coverage, anybody. Join the community. We'd love to have you. But the people that listen to those and not us, they're not listening to us. So they're not. That's why us, I said so. get on the socials. Oh, you're, you're, and tell everyone. You're, you're trying to recruit. Yeah. Okay. I there was a conversation it. on Twitter that code coverage was code coverage people are communicating on the. Good day, sir. Oh, yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah. that's good. That's awesome. Although I haven't seen Matt Lacey in a while. What's he been up to? I don't know. Probably. I see. I see uh, Herod uh, here and there. I know. I've seen more of Herod lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe Herod was busy for a while. And Lacey was <laughs> yeah. was not busy, and now you know. I feel like Matt's. It's really, seasonal. I feel like he's really busy with work right now. Yeah. That's what it just from listening to their show and what he's been up to. And of course, he probably has bought like seven new motorbikes, as he calls them, in the past <laughs> six months. So he's. <laughs> Tinkering, fixing shit, and changing oil, and replacing carburetors or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So if you're not in our Slack, again, you can you can uh, you can communicate with uh, the Good Day Sir community. You can communicate with the uh, code coverage code coverage community. Yeah, the two wit yeah. community. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you know it's um it's a it's a crossover community. It's mm. a hybrid. It's a hybrid community. It's a hybrid. John. Yeah. No more just public community or private community. It's a no. hybrid community. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're not we're not going to miss out on any opportunities here. <laughs> anyway, the way that you do that is you go to gooddayserpodcast.com, click on community, and uh, you will need to enter your email address. So John can enter that into Slack, and you will get a notification. I do it mainly, so be pl- be patient with me. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, you can send us questions or topics or feedback or whatever you want to info at gooddayserpodcast.com. And we always appreciate reviews on Apple and iTunes and the Google Play, which I don't think we check. But do we? Do you ever check? Do you ever check that to see if we get any reviews on there? I don't. Yeah. I should. All right, can you do reviews on those? Someone needs to tell someone who understands uh, who's like a podcast nerd and um, understands how Apple does things needs to tell uh, tell me why when you go into Apple now. This didn't used to be the case. So I don't know if we got blacklisted or what. And you search for Salesforce podcasts, we do not come up in at all anywhere. So some who, someone who knows these things, please look at that and let me know what we're doing wrong. Yep. I feel like we, I don't know if this is a transition to these new categories that iTunes has, right? I don't know if you knew about that. Mm-mm. Big, you, you know about that? Oh, yeah, the new categories. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Sorry. So I don't know if we, that somehow we got caught up in that and something went wrong or, but. I mean, it could point to a lot of restructuring in their, how they organize and algorithms, search algorithms, and all that kind of stuff, because they did shovel that around. But we fell into a pretty well-known category, so, I mean, all, like all we did was... Tech news or something? or Yeah, we're news and, news and then technology okay. or something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, you still should be able to search for Salesforce podcasts and have us come up. Maybe Benioff called up 
Tim Cook is like, hey, you got to take these jackasses out of your directory, man. <laughs> no? I, I doubt Benioff even knows we exist. <laughs> oh. You're, this is not playing into my fantasies, John. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Don't. He listens every night yeah, before exactly. bed. Thank you. <laughs> All right, John. Well, take us, take us out when you're in your And then, uh, then right before life. he goes to sleep, Benioff says, and to that, I say good day, sir. <laughs> I, have, I had no idea. I, I figured you were doing this at your house or something really? like that. Yeah. So you thought when we talk about the studio, it's just uh, made yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I used to have a really nice studio room yeah. at my house. Okay. Um, with, you know, fully carpeted and like. Oh, yeah. Even more. A lot of foam. A lot of more padding on the walls. Yes. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And like a drop ceiling. Oh, okay. It was it was really nice. I, you into music? Is it, or what was it? Um, <clears throat> I, I guess coincidentally. So, I mean, maybe it's influence. So I, I used to be a musician professionally. And then uh, uh, we have to go there. Oh, we have to go there. Okay. okay. And then uh, we bought this house uh, that was in, in Cyprus, or the house I was in previous. And, and there was this the person that had owned the house previously was a recording artist and did stuff, you know, like okay. church things. And um, anyway, I saw this room and I'm like, oh, this is like both my hobbies at one time. You know, this would be a fantastic home <laughs> office, <laughs> completely soundproof. So, like, kids could have their friends over during the summer. And I didn't know. You know, unless it was like a thunderstorm or maybe a garage door. That's about the only thing that made it through okay. into that space. So it was not only – so this is just sound absorption, right? Yes. There's nothing that prevents, like, if we got loud our voices from bleeding into the next room. You're talking yeah. about soundproofing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot. And then the uh, the doorway was like a double door. So it had this door that was like a good three-quarters of a foot thick. And then, like, another door just outside of that. Oh, two sets of doors. Just, yeah. Okay. And so what, okay. what they had wired up that that little space for is almost like a little booth, you know, so like you like an isolation booth for a singer yeah. or something like that. So you could, like, wire your microphone right into the wall there, and then someone else on the studio side could be doing that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, or you could have two musicians recording at the same time. Anyway, someone was doing more serious stuff than I was ever going to do there, okay. but okay. I got to benefit from it. Yeah. So what, what did you, did you ever do anything interesting with that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I've done some stupid stuff. Um, I, I mostly use it in my office, which right. was nice. But, you know, if you were to Google um, process builder love song. <laughs> oh, is that you? Yeah, it's me. Okay, I think I've heard yeah. that. Oh, no. Okay. I, I actually did not I did not make yeah. that connection. I didn't know that was you. Yeah, oh, that's no. awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, it's been, I've spent a while since I heard it, it but I remember, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah it's been. Was good, it just like a guitar years. thing you did or? Yeah. Yeah, I was playing guitar at the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Make a note of that. Put that in the show notes. Put the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Process builder love song. <laughs> That's great. I'm the top search result for that. Uh, you know, yeah. That super end of Yeah, query. exactly. I mean, you don't have to buy AdWords for that or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, no, nope. it comes right up. <laughs> I have no competition at all. <laughs> the bidding starts at uh, one cent per click. <laughs> um, okay, so the musician thing. So I'm, you know, I, I have that a similar background. So tell me about yours. Um, started playing, I guess, middle school band. Um, okay. Went to went to college, majored in music. Um, so I'm a French horn player by trade. Oh, great, I love French horn. Played in the Knoxville Symphony for five years. That was like career number one. Wow! So you were a legit professional musician. Something like that. It's like it's like double A baseball. You know where you were like pretty good, but never really. Yeah. You know, like yeah. major league. I mean, were you getting paid to play yeah. French horn? Okay, well yeah. there you go. I mean, but you know, like double A baseball versus. Gotcha. You know, like that. You never got recruited into the big leagues? Nope. Okay. Nope. Auditioned a lot and, you know, thank yeah. you. Thank you next. Right. It's, um, that's one of those things like don't ever tell your kids to take a, you know, at least pr 
music performance as a career because it's just it's like saying um it's as competitive as like trying to be a football player or whatever i mean it's just the odds of yeah making it to the point where you make that top level of money is just it's they're, yep. not, they're not in your favor yeah as long as you don't care about money it's a totally great, <clears throat> exactly great world. Yep. yeah um, well that's cool yeah i um i started on percussion in sixth grade so you know trained and did all that and um yeah, I got pretty decent. I mean, I would go to, I would uh, do, um, you know, I would always make it to the state level and do well at solos and stuff like that. Um, but also in, like, I think it was eighth grade, um, I bought the kid down the street's trumpet from him and taught myself to play trumpet. And then by the time I was in high school, I, so my freshman year, I did, I did mainly drums. In fact, uh, in like in the marching band, I, I played uh, tenors or mm-hmm. quints or whatever you want to call it, the multi-drum thing. And then, um, and I, you know, I went to percussion camp and did all that, you know, super into that. But also, I mean, I just really, I made, that's ninth grade was when I really started the major transition to trumpet. So by kind of halfway through my freshman year, I think I, or maybe sophomore, I was already like first chair trumpet. And then really like the rest of high school, I was, um, I was pretty much all trumpet. That's an unusual transition. Yeah. yeah I started off as a trumpet player and okay. then they put braces on me. Oh. So I switched to French horn because, mm. you know, you have that deeper Mouthpiece, different mouthpiece, and the angle's different, and it sits on your yeah yeah. 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 Um, it was a lot more comfortable to play. Was it? And then it was like, oh, someone who doesn't suck at French horn. Yeah, you know, okay. we're, we're going to make you play that as yep. much as possible because um, it's yeah. hard to define people that do it well. French horn's one of those instruments too. At least, at least the school I went to, that they actually um, you had to be one of the smart kids to even be eligible to request to play French horn. Yeah, and when I was when I was teaching that, I would always ask. I mean, so like. We got to audition the kids to figure out which instruments they were okay. doing. When mm-hmm. I was when I was in college, um, and when I was uh, playing professionally, I also did a lot of teaching. And um, yeah, I mean, those are the two things. It's like I'm going to play something. Can you hum it back to me? And are you pretty much an A B student? And if yeah. and if you meet those criteria, if you meet those two criteria, we'll totally let you play horn. I think that was ours too. And the other thing was. Um, you didn't buy French horn because it was too expensive, so the yeah. school always supplied it. That was kind of nice, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I think the deal with French horn is you're actually playing the typical range you're going to be playing in is is higher up in the in the horn's natural range than mm-hmm. than most other brass. So your your intervals are actually closer together. And, yeah, and that's so it gets tricky. You've really got to have a good ear, or you can just so easily play be playing at one harmonic off. You know. You, you know what I'm saying? Like on the yeah. horn. I mean, the, the the harmonics, the the slots are closer together, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, it's more like it's more like if you were a trombone player, but you only play ridiculously high trombone parts mm-hmm. on a tiny mouthpiece. Right. You, yeah. know, you know, it's that length of tubing you just, you know, compared to a trumpet. Yep. So, well, that's cool. Yeah, nice. Do you, do you play much anymore and ever? No, I, I've been clean for <laughs> clean. Uh, six or seven years. Um, now, I play I play keyboards okay. um, quite a bit. And um, and my, my son actually plays a bunch of stuff. You know, he... He can sit down at a trap set and play just about anything. Oh, that's right. But also on guitar and also on keyboards. Yeah, okay. He's one of those like utility infielders of Good. pop instruments. Good. Yeah, I still I keep the trumpet nearby and I I try to I don't know every couple of weeks I'll I'll pull it out and yeah make sure I can still play a little bit. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I have I have not touched mine. Actually, I did once just sort of out of curiosity. You know, within within a year ago. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things with a brass instrument. I mean, you really have to play regularly, or as soon as you put that mouthpiece up to your lips, like your lips swell up, and you you know, after two minutes, you can't play anymore because you're so out of shape. Yeah. Um, so I keep telling myself, like, I'm gonna like three days a week, just at least for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Should be doable, right? 
Yeah, five minutes. <laughs> Anyone can do five minutes. So yeah. I don't know. I still I just have that love of music that I'll always have, and it's I don't know. It's there's a there's a hole in my life right now that I don't spend any more time with music than what mm-hmm. I do. I actually like being on some other instrument that I don't have that level of skill at because trying to be up at the very top of that learning curve is not super rewarding in terms of like new things you can do. Right. It's more about like, oh, I used to be able to do this and now I can't. Yeah. Right. Um, versus, oh, well, on, on piano, which is not, I mean, my class piano teacher from college would be shocked to see what I do yeah. today because yeah, uh, it was really hard for me. Um, but it's like down further on the learning curve. So like little things that aren't a huge deal. I'm like, yeah, I, I can't believe I got that. The, you know? the, the wins come a little bit more frequently. Right? Yeah, they're a lot closer together. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you actually feel the growth more than, oh, I'm trying to just maintain some level of something. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is less fun, less rewarding. I right. Guess. right. All right. So you are in the Houston area. Yeah. Right? We were just talking about that. And I'm really, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be reductive about what you do, but the thing that interests interests me about what you do is like you know, you're. Well, I think what's your LinkedIn say? You're a demo engineer or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So the reason is I'm interested in that is because um, the for the company I work for, we um, we actually have, I guess we do quite a bit few demos, but we're going to start doing I think a lot more, um, just because some process things are changing, and so I just want to like I want to know all the tips and tricks and secrets of, you know, how do you build good demos? What are some good practices? What are the pitfalls? Because they're just, they've got to be plenty, you know? Yeah. Uh, you would really enjoy some of the stuff that gets published by my counterpart, who does the same job that I do. And who is um, that? His name is Gabe Sumner. He's out in San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of what I do. So there's product marketing you know, is kind of the department that I support as a developer. And so a lot of it is, this is a new feature. We want to show people how to use this thing. Okay. Um, and we, we do that through sometimes demos. We do that through a lot of hands-on workshops. So a lot of times I'm building things that almost look like mini curriculum and okay. the ability to click a button and get a scratch org that's got this thing halfway built mm. so that you yep. can, you know, let people walk through and, you know, and do it hands-on. Um, on the demo side, some of the largest things we do are for some of the... Uh, Analyst things like Gartner and Forrester, they'll give us this huge list of requirements. And some of these demos are like an hour long. They want to be demoed to? Yes. Okay. They want to see this list of things. And so they have like all the different vendors. I was wondering, like, like in, a, in a Gartner Salesforce relationship, like who's kissing whose ring here? <laughs> uh, you know, even though Salesforce is obviously like a thousand times bigger than Gartner, I mean, I still think like you, Salesforce, you got to kind of go kiss the ring of Gartner, right? You got to, when they say they need a demo, you put together a demo, right? Yeah. You, <laughs> you really do want to um, like tick off all their requirements and whatever it is that they want to show that they're evaluating these different vendors on. Um, and then sometimes they're sort of more open to uh, what else do you think you should show us? Okay. But a lot of times they have a very prescriptive list and you may spend, the good chunk of, you know, if they give you an hour, you may spend 45 to 50 minutes just trying to hit all of their requirements so that they can see everything from like, oh, how do you integrate with this? How do you deploy this? You know, mm-hmm. what is it? You know, because sometimes the the demo, the demo will be focused on just low-code things. Yep. You know, and just within Salesforce, that's a huge topic. You know, everything from UI and schema and, you know, validations and mobile and bots and, yeah. you know, everything, everything. Yep. Um, so yeah, you, you, we definitely want to um, show them all of that that they want to see, and then also kind of what's our latest innovation and stuff where we've been spending time. You know, so you know for the low code thing, it's like definitely here's some of the new cool things that are available in flows, and here's some of the 
um, here's some of the things that we really want you to see so that you'd be like, oh, I see Salesforce is really serious about this low-code thing, yep. right? Yeah, that's a whole um, area now that they cover. It's right. I think there's probably a, I'm sure there's a whole magic quadrant for blow code, right? Yeah, I can't remember what it's <laughs> called, but yeah, there's a there's uh, both Gartner, Gartner and Forrester have something where they're trying to uh, trying to help companies evaluate the okay, you know, you're you might be an IT professional, but if you want to do low code tools, there's all these people that have low code tools. How do we compare the pros and cons of these different things? Yeah, and I've never really played with them, but there's some of these. I'm trying to think of the names now. Um, their their whole reason for existence is um, they started out being a to go after that low code like I guess market right um, and so it's I can't remember the name of it but there was one that I looked at that actually looked pretty interesting it was you know it's, it's one of those things that they it's got I think the key to a, a good low code system and Salesforce probably takes this box is, is having the right escape hatches because sometimes you need to break out yep. you know yep. <laughs> and the low code's all great until you realize that you need to do something that just you can't do with low code and you need to drop some code in or, you know, whatever. Um, so having those the escape patches in the right places is, is kind of the key to to having a system that you when you reach that, like that unknown unknown, you're like, oh, crap, we didn't know we are going to have to do that. And okay, well, how are we going to solve this? And, and if there's a way to do it, even if it requires some code, that's that's a win to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, this system, it has, um, it's almost like I think you could choose Java or .NET. You could you could break out of the low code and and do some coding and and, and and I don't know if you had to pick which platform you're running on, or if you could just like for any given like use case, you could. Do you want to do this in Java or .NET? It was kind of interesting. Um, hmm. I don't remember the name of it, but you know, those those are pretty fascinating. I think the thing they struggle with though is, <clears throat> you know, Salesforce has always wrapped itself around um, like a. Um, I don't know if it's a vertical CRM considered a vertical, but you know they start out as like CRM and SFA, right? And it was it wasn't just about a platform; it was really an application, and then the platform play slowly built over time and came came later, right? So, so Salesforce is always about that those use cases, whereas these low-code platforms are just like, hey, we're just like this platform. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I think people struggle. I, I think they struggle in marketing, especially, you know, marketing to like, you know, CMOs or salespeople or whatever. They're like, well, we have Salesforce, we get that. I mean, or we understand Salesforce's pitch. It's like, it's you know, it does all this stuff for us, but you're saying... That yours and I, I've even seen them. They, they've tried to come up with, oh yeah, we 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 took you know six weeks and built a CRM on top of this too. It's like, okay, well, I mean, how good is that CRM, right? right? Um, yeah, I would say that's one of the differentiators. Is you know, for some people, the Salesforce platform is a way to extend their sales and service CRM tools. Mm-hmm. And then, if you enjoyed that process, then it kind of becomes natural to build other unrelated things on yes. the platform. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the low code things that are not Salesforce. Are are not very um, database connected, you know. Like the, your data store could be anywhere. It yeah. could be a spreadsheet, or it could be a SQL Server, or you know, it could be kind of anything. And so they're they're really building almost like just the app layer that connects to something else, right? Whereas Salesforce tends to be very um, put your data in our store as well, because that data oh, and the schema, okay, a lot okay. of things in Salesforce fall out of your data schema. Yeah. And you know the whole data model and validation rules and APIs and all that kind of stuff. We're and, sort and of assuming that we are the data store. And people forget this because it, I think everyone's probably um, what's it called when you like you take it for granted or whatever. But um, transactions, yeah. If you've never built applications um, on a platform that either didn't have legitimate transactions or you just didn't know that you needed them yet, you eventually find out that oh crap, we need transactions here because you know the 
the canonical thing is like you take money from one person's account, but it fails by the time you put it in their other account or whatever. You know, like, Who's got the dollar now? I don't <laughs> exactly. know where it is. Yeah. Where did it go? Well, the bank has the dollar. Yeah. Who has the dollar now? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you. So yeah. Just the fact that transactions are there, and you don't even have to. I mean. Salesforce has, you know, there's some APIs to do some limited transaction stuff. For the most part, it covers it for you. It's like, you know, anything you do in Salesforce, it's in a transaction. Mm-hmm. And the thing's either going to, it's going to succeed or fail atomically uh, yep. for the most part, you know, unless you, unless, unless you, you want it not to. Exactly. And then yeah. and you really have to know what you're doing. You have, you have to, you can't mistakenly, you know, do that. It's a, it's a, it's a definitely an intentional thing. So, yeah, I mean, if there's, you know, if these other platforms that, don't have that at their core. Um, if they're, you know, just a- API calls to to access some kind of data service they have or something that's off platform, or whatever. It's like if some something happens in the middle of your sequence of of um, steps, then it's up to the application developer to it's to as much as possible try to gracefully figure out okay what what should this thing do now yep put the dollar back do i do i have to put the dollar back yeah <laughs> or is the database going to put the dollar back I mean, <laughs> and that becomes a really big deal in the mobile space you know where we've got this concept of like a draft record that hasn't been synced up and then it, it could be synced up with errors and all that stuff is kind of handled natively for you in the mobile app yeah uh and, and they, there's that whole um it's in the sdk too right it's the, yes um what do they call that um smart store or yeah, smart okay. soup sink, i played with it i couldn't like get it to i don't know i i I did probably didn't know what I was doing, but I I tried to check it out once, and I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's better in the uh, in the Salesforce app with just data service. You know, you save a record, and if it doesn't save because you're not connected, it just goes into drafts. Yeah, yeah. And okay, it'll, it'll sync up eventually. Right. You know, um, it's a really it's a really uh, low overhead system for mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah, it's cool, and it's I mean I I could tell the idea was um, that but you know having that as like a a core infrastructural part of the that SDK, it just takes the work off of the application developer, right? Yeah. Something you can just use and, and for the most part. I mean, you know, syncing after the fact, that that's always, you know, um, that's a step down from actual, like, transactions. It's it, um, because there's, uh, there's a conflict resolution thing that has to kick in if there are conflicts, right, mm-hmm. later. And so that's, that's always fun. <laughs> and I have no idea how that mobile thing handles it. Um, what else does that uh, in Salesforce world? The... Um, What's their database sync with Postgres called? Uh, Heroku Connect. Yeah. And I think that has a, because that's also, it's not really transactional. Um, and I think there can, I think it's got a whole synchronization or a, a, like a conflict, like algorithm it uses to um, to try to resolve these things automatically. And then I think there are, if, if it can't, like if it can't, you know, deterministically like solve this problem, then I think it puts it in a queue for you to look at or something like that. Yeah, there's definitely an, an errors log. Okay. And you can, if, if, when you open up the Heroku Connect, Heroku Connect dashboard, you'll kind of see transactions that failed. And then you can go look at them. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, we do this in one of our little workshops where you can look at the data on one side and the data on the other side because they have a key in between from the first time that I got synced or tried to sync or something like that. So a lot of times you can be like, oh, okay, I see these two records and I can decide, you know, which one is the latest and greatest and correct yep. store of data. Um, where you've got things mixed up there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, when things, you know, when you operate on the same record in two different systems, um, at some point, you're going to have to have a human tell you what's right and what's... And this is a problem, you know, it's it's funny. This is, you know, people, I, I tried, you know, like when I, you know, I do integrations, I always try to avoid like these um, bi-directional like syncing integrations. Usually they're actually, actually, it's not a good, it's typically not a good use case. People always think, oh, I just want everything to sync, right? Of course, like magically, but... So usually it's, that's because you haven't actually thought through exactly. And so if you really drill down, like you'll realize that you, a lot of times you just don't need a, a bi-directional sync. 
Um, but if you do, then those are like literally an order of magnitude harder than a one direction type of uh, type of push. Just... Yeah. So on Heroku Connect, you can decide it's one direction or the other mm-hmm. or both. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that that I think is at least in pilot right now um, is doing that through the event bus rather than from database to database, and that lets you that lets you decide how you want to handle that event on either side. Versus... There's more latency in that though. Um, there's latency in Heroku Connect automatically. There is some, right? But I just I'd wonder about going through the event bus. I think it'd, it'd probably be about the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the latency there is Heroku Connect's going to decide which API to use. So it may decide to do things through the bulk API if it's uh, enough thing. You know, like if you did uh, a if you did a yeah. big database purge on the Postgres side, that might be bulk. You okay. Know, in one direction or the other. That's interesting. I, I didn't actually. I didn't know it would had its choice of APIs. Yeah, it's got a whole. I mean, what you would call a strategy <laughs> pattern. Okay, okay, you know, yeah. um, in, in terms of what do I want to do with these changes? Um, and so some of the latency. You know, you'll change it in Salesforce, and it's subscribing through the streaming API. Okay. Or I guess now it would be CDC. Um, oh, the change to, connect. Yeah, to go ahead and grab that information so that it happens more real time. Okay. Versus you know polling every so often. But then the polling still happens so that it makes sure it didn't miss any. Yeah. So you can be like, I'm polling every 10 minutes, but I'm also getting streaming notification events. Yeah. Yeah. Streaming is really cool. I've started doing some of that. Um, I still do. I still do a lot of just polling like every minute or so for things. One of the, one of the things on, <clears throat> on the streaming is so a lot of these integrations I've done, they, they're, it's, there's a lot of things being integrated and, um, like on change on CDC, what's mm-hmm. it called? Change data capture. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a kind of a standard term. I see other vendors use that. It's probably an old term, right? I yeah. Don't I don't think we invented it, but it's a pattern that some people are familiar. with. Yeah. I think. With I mean, something. I think like, my, like SQL Server has probably a, a CDC thing you can enable, which is also it looks like it's pretty slick. It's just kind of a pain to set up, from what I could tell. Um, but uh, there's when you turn on change data capture, you can. I think you can select up to ten. 10 objects maybe that and then you can get more but i think you have to ask or pay or something and yeah five for free so five for free it's pick, five okay pick your five favorite objects okay. that you'd like to see you see we, we did have you on just the show all the time so you can it real time fact check me because <laughs> yeah usually i'm on my lawnmower and i'm like <laughs> no, no no it's uh, this you know <laughs> but you know that was two days yeah. ago when you recorded it yeah <laughs> um okay so it's you get five right out of yeah. the box okay yeah and then i think if you um the, the license that CDC has for the people that was, I mean, it's kind of the freemium model, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you need more than that. Um, it not only comes with, uh, basically, if you buy that license, you can enable every object you want. You can, okay. And then you get, like, a big tranche of deliverable events. And and that's never, as far as I can tell, that's never my concern. It, when I look at the, what the limits are, it's, it's, not, it's not like how many listeners you can have or how many messages can be sent. Mm-hmm. That's just, actually, those are pretty generous, even just, I think, the default. It, it dep- if, if you're doing what you're talking about that's like an integration use case, mm-hmm. where you really have one listener trying yes. to subscribe to all that stuff, yep. um, there's a whole other class of, of apps where someone's got a 2,000-person call, call center, yeah. and they each want to be subscribing to something. And so then you have a lot of events delivered, and, and you're, you're worried about the other end of that limit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, for my use case, I don't, those, it's only really the per object, just because I know I'm going to have... Yeah. 10, 15, 20 objects I'm, I'm trying to sync. And also, CDC just came out of, I mean, relatively recently, out of um, whatever they call it, where it still could be not shipped in, at production level. Like, they could still kill it. <laughs> so, 
I, I've had Miles in it for a while, but it's just it's yeah. been in. Um, yeah, it's been two releases. GA. Okay, two now. releases now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- we added a bunch of stuff to that in this in this most recent summer release. So now you can write triggers on these events. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a big deal. And then I and think they can be in a choice whether it's in the transaction or outside of the transaction. So uh, that's nice. You can say right now, or you can say once this transaction is over, then publish all the events. Okay. So they kind of go into this like intermediary stage. And then when your transaction ends, all those events hit the bus. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing we did is um, when you're writing triggers on change data capture events and other platform events, you can now have the resume from. Yes. You saw yeah, that, right? you have the like the replay ID or whatever. Yeah, so so you can as you as you process these things, you can track them, and that way you could because they can come in batches of two thousand, okay. and so you get through a bunch, and you eventually hit a governor limit, mm. and then it just picks up processing the queue from the last place that was, you know, from the, after the last successful one. Yeah, <clears throat> and that way you just kind of say, I don't know where the limits are, just run until you hit one, and then when you do, stop. And then start from there again. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that type of protocol is also needed just for the the kind of like w- deliver every message once and exactly once in type order of semantics in in order too, right? Right. Yeah. Because that that trigger is a singleton. Yeah. There can only be one instance yeah. of it running against uh, running against a single uh, event. Okay. And the whole in order thing is interesting. Like, and maybe maybe you have thoughts on this, but one of these challenges I face because again I do so many integrations nowadays is. Never knew this is going to come back in my life like it has what it has. So, <laughs> so here you go. Um, but I'll build an integration, and the use case is basically kind of as things happen real time in one system, I'm just pushing those over to the other system. And so, let's say that you know systems are, are similar; and they both have like an account contact model, right? So, as just n- things naturally happen, you probably it will create an account, right? And then two minutes later, you'll create a contact, right? So the first thing we're going to do is push that account. From one system to the other, and then when and then we'll push that contact with the contact which has a dependency on the account, but we've already pushed the account, mm-hmm. so we don't have to worry about. And, and as long as we're processing these messages in order, we're going to be good in terms of like relationships between things, um, dependencies, right? And then you're like, okay, great. You know, testing's been great. Um, now we need to um, do the like day zero push of all the data from the old system to the new system. I'm like, okay, so I'm using the REST API, which, and we have to use upserts because it's an integration, and turns out there's, like, no way to kind of, like, batch or bulk upsert with the REST API. I, I learned that the hard way, because there's the, um, there's the, is, what do they call the API where you can send 25, is it composite batch? 25 records at a time in an API call. But for good or bad, in some cases, good, actually. Each of those records is actually in its complete own execution context and transaction. Hmm. So, fair enough, Salesforce charges you an API call for each of those. So now I'm like, okay, i got to push across 400,000 records, or maybe a lot more. I don't even remember how much it was. I'm making a number up. Probably a lot more than that. But I have this API limit per day of you know 90,000 or something like that. Um, and so I ended up having to... And I've learned my lessons. This is this goes back a little bit. But um, I'm having to change the integration. I, I kind of made the integration op- be able to operate in either that kind of normal REST API mode or bulk API mode. And in bulk API mode, what, what we did was, luckily we could do this. There weren't any like um, self-referential things or 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 circular referential, yeah, which yeah. is, by the way, just basic 
software engineering, don't ever try not try to avoid all those because those are bad. I mean, those are difficult. Um, even things like parent accounts, having parent accounts, that's that's is what it is. We know how to solve it, right? We've, we've all probably all been there, but it's it's something that you do have to take. You know, you should have to do like a two pass if you're good loading accounts, right? Or more. Or more, yeah. <laughs> um, so I had to kind of made the, make the integration be able to operate it in, okay, we're going to operate in bulk mode, in which case we're taking like all the accounts first, then all the contacts, then the, all the opportunities or whatever. Um, I'm overly simplifying. Um, and do those, if you do those in order, then it's fine and you're using the bulk API, so it's, you know, not hitting limits. But then once that's done and we're past the day zero push, of, of all the data, the, the initial sync, right? Um, we need to go back to that REST API, API because we have to process messages in order and they have to be kind of like one at a time. Like mm-hmm. I need to, I need that account to be created before I create the contact so that when I create the contact, it can refer to that account. Um, yeah. I mean, that's another one where the event-based architecture gives you some options. So you could say, uh, just take all these streams and let's say I get a contact that has an account key but the account doesn't exist yet. Just drop that as an error. It's going to get retried oh, automatically. Yeah. So at the next batch, that account may still not be there, and it's going to try to run the. It's going to. So if each each of those are discrete events, yeah. you what you can kind of say is, I don't have it yet. Let me throw it back in the queue, and then now, you know, can you use cell? So say we're coming out of Salesforce, right, to another system. Can you put it back in like the Salesforce queue? Will Salesforce keep that queued? Like if I say if I say hey I failed to process this particular message I know it does keep it it'll it'll keep in a queue right if you if you, if it doesn't what's the what's the process on that streaming API for does for sending it for like saying hey I'm not acknowledging this in fact I'm saying it failed um there really oh, there's is not, one. not one it's up to you with the replay ID right which is which is probably more reliable actually um because yep. just because you didn't so, get an acknowledgement doesn't mean I didn't process it what you'd want to do on your off platform app is to say hey, this stuff I don't know what to do with yet, go stick it in my own queue that I manage and then process your queue every now and then. So like contacts that I don't know what to do with, save them here. And then your event loop should go through and be like, now do I have it yet? You know, and after an hour, you might be like, hey, I have a problem. I don't know what to do with this and I haven't got the account for it. You know, at some point you raise an exception. Yeah. Right. On on the inbound side, you know, you can have something kind of similar where you have um, count the retries like that your event object could store its retry count. Okay. Because um, Apex, I mean, is going to back them off sequentially. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I tried. I tried again. Let me wait a few minutes and I'm going to try mm-hmm. again. But eventually that's going to... And there actually is a platform event for errors coming off of events. Okay. Oh, well, that's good. Kind of a standard event you yep. can handle and be like, okay, let me see Let me see what totally failed out. Because those are the ones you're going to have to go manually hunt down and be like, you know, what server crashed and yeah. never sent me the rest of it. <clears throat> yep. You know. Yeah, and and, um, and that works well for the the data events coming out of Salesforce. If you got data events coming from some other system, what what I'm one thing I've done, I'm, I'm doing more of these integrations is um, I will um, just have like a simple like in memory like JMS message queue, and I, I I don't see why I couldn't do you know just have a queue for 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 that same type of thing. Like oh, I sent this over to Salesforce, but it says the account didn't exist. Put it in the error queue, which will get retried on some frequency or whatever. And then you store a property on it, how many times I've retried. And once you get to, you know, 10 or something, you just, you log a message and move on, move on with life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I used to always say I hate integrations. And I, the reason I, I think one reason I hated them is because I didn't, I didn't have good tooling. Um, but also, I feel like integrations, at, at least for the longest time, maybe, the, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure much has changed. But it's kind of a thankless job in a way. It's like, 
if everything works great, your phone won't ever ring. And no one will take you out to lunch and or anything. It's like, yeah. but it's only when stuff goes wrong that you, you know, your phone rings. It's kind of it's, so I don't know. But I feel like now that I'm, I'm working in a, a different environment where people, most people I'm working with, including on the on our client side, right, have been through lots of integrations and bad integrations and and maybe some good ones and. And to the point that like they definitely appreciate when integrations work well. That that's good. It's good that people kind of know what's there and at least recognize the challenges and difficulties and you know get to exactly. get to appreciate that work. I'm I mean I'm always really uh uneasy going into a project with a client who um that the team at the client side has just never done anything like this before. I'm just like, oh, this is you yeah. got you got just so much to learn and and just setting expectations and um, it's you know, there's always dealing them dealing with that. Sometimes there's like shock and or disappointment. It's like, well, that's just how you know that's how these things work. There, yeah. You know. <laughs> did you see the uh, the talk that Ohad did for extracurricular on what, the? What was the topic? Um, I probably did. I think I saw almost all of them. They had a uh, coincidentally a music store um, with all these inventory records yes. that were coming in. Yeah. Oh, that was really like with the multiple yeah. batches yeah. and queuables and stuff like that. Um, and staging cool. objects. Anyway, it was it was a neat little like oh this is totally on platform, high data volume integration scenario. Yeah, and and that was impressive what they did. Although it also gave me the thought of, you know, this I feel like that's one of those things that should be a little easier. They had to do so much engineering to make to make that work, and it's and I, you know I mean Salesforce keeps adding these tools. I mean, really everything. What what's the um, I guess platform events? I mean the the things that have that's become a platform in and of itself. Platform events after like to bring change data capture and some of these other things. And so I, I feel like, you know, they've, they're adding all these things that are making more things possible, but I still, some of these things I look at, I'm like, <clears throat> has to, I know Salesforce just keeps adding all these new tools and technologies, but um, some things still just seem like they should need, they need to be a little bit easier than what they were. But yeah, cause that was, that was really impressive what they did. Um, by the way, your talk was really awesome too. And if, in fact, it was on, um, the the tooling you were just talking about, right? Some of this didn't you didn't didn't you do a talk on, or was that someone else that did a, a, that? I thought it was you. I was, was doing I was doing Scratch Org deployers, yeah, giving Scratch Orgs to strangers. Yeah. At, at no, that was really stupid cool. scale. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen that, uh, those are all posted now, right? Yes, they're all yeah. on YouTube on the Salesforce Developer Channel. Yeah. So um, and they and they fix them too. The audio is fixed now. I yeah, guess. they sound good. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, they were up. They were <laughs> up. Briefly. Someone was trolling us. I don't know who it was. We need to figure out who that was. Yeah, and then they got pulled down <laughs> because I think they were like unaudible. Um, yeah, it was just like static like, or something. Yeah, yeah. And so then they were gone for like another week or two, and, it, and then they finally posted them all. Yeah. Um, and it was mo- it was actually mostly the extracurricular stuff that came in in that last little batch. Yeah. So I don't know if that room had an issue or recorded <laughs> the wrong track or something. I don't know. Well, I was worried. I'm like, God, I hope this is not what they have for the audio track, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was I was I was deeply concerned that we had lost all that because I got to I only got to see two of them uh, because you know it's my job to do other things right. at TDX. And so I was like, oh, I'll go back and watch all these. And I, every now and then I would check and be like, oh yeah, I want to. People had asked to see mine. I'm like, oh yeah, as soon as I get posted, I'll, I'll let you know. I just didn't yeah. realize it would take that long. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of spot checked and just went through a few of them. And they they sound good. I mean, the only thing they don't have is video, but I mean, yeah, usually you're looking at someone's screen anyway. Yeah. So it's I mean, especially on the extracurricular. Yeah. I mean, you don't really want to see me walking yeah, around talking about stuff. No, because extracurricular is all about show don't tell, right? I mean, yeah. So uh, no, I, I think that they sounded great and looked great. So yep. that was good. I mean, I'm, I I still think that's really cool of Salesforce to to let us do that. You know. Um, yeah, we've had this. Um, I guess a growing approach to marketing, and you know. Uh, like I think someone said, why don't we just like 
let all the customers show up at Dreamforce and talk about whatever they want to talk about. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, there's so many people doing such cool things um, that are not only like really interesting business challenges, but someone else is going to be like, "Oh, that's exactly what I needed to solve." Um, so I think I think TDX really lends itself to that. Um, it's more it's more manageable too. I mean, than yeah. than obviously than Dreamforce. Yep, but I think you know, like Chuck did a fantastic job organizing that and like. Interviewing speakers yeah, I, and like I, I, emceeing it, you know. So I, I we think, all owe Chuck just an amazing debt of gratitude. I, I can't say enough good things about him. He worked his ass off, and I don't know honestly. I mean, he's he runs a small business. He's he's doing training, and he's got this uh, the Valence data. Speaking of data integration, everyone should check out Valence Data. Um, I don't even know. Really what he, cool. Tool. I don't even know what that is. Oh, I, he, I should. I mean, well, I like Chuck, so I should I check out. I promise you. Stuff, actually, right? he's probably gonna he's gonna call you next okay. week after hearing this. And he's, Excellent. <laughs> he's gonna give you a demo. Let me call him. Um, no, it's got. it's really cool. It's like this. Um, I think a hundred percent native. Um, it's like a data integration framework. And I apologize, Chuck, if I'm butchering this. But yeah, it's like a framework. Um, it's got like a core tool and process and kind of runtime. But then you can write almost like plugins mm. for connectors to off-platform things or databases or whatever you want, and then and then um, Valence orchestrates everything. Okay. And it's got, you know, management tools, and it's very, it's very um, admin, you know, kind of point-and-click friendly as well in terms okay. of once you're, once you've, once you, like, if you need a custom connector, you might have to have some development there, but once you've got that, I mean, the admin can orchestrate things, can check out errors, and, um, you know, kind of manage the whole thing. Cool. So it's really, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, there should be, there should totally be an admin extracurricular you know, where people show things they've built that, you know, more of an emphasis on, you know, things that would be of interest to admins. Yeah. You know, where they're, they're know. you know, solving. Dreamforce, isn't it? Or... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but they, just a whole track. So yeah. I think I think we've kind of had, you know, some of our, you know, admin have, we've tried to feature interesting customer stories, you know, but you're like, hey, these are all things, these are all conversational format. Yeah. Because, I mean, half of it's the topic, but half of it's that format where people are like, Oh, I have a question about this, or yes. I, I want to say something. Yeah. You know, it almost comes in, turns into like a, a, a round, like a just you know, roundtable discussion or something. Yeah, with a really large table. Yes, um, <laughs> you know, something like that. And that way, you know, they they pick their own speakers, they pick their own topics of whatever they think is most interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the way that Chuck did. So, yeah. yeah, if you're if you're the admin, if you're the Chuck of admins, you know, you should totally you should totally look at this yeah. and, and do it. That that would be interesting. It's almost. I mean, is there is there a track for like power admins? Almost like these quasi developer, you know, because um, the content the content is there. I guarantee you, Dreamforce, right? I mean, you'll see these, uh, you know, really pretty amazing things that just that that declarative type, whatever we're calling them, developers or whatever now that are that are building that are pretty amazing. Especially when you especially when you think about um, combining like. Uh, App Exchange apps and, and third-party services to like compose a whole new application, um, or you know, it's 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 pretty awesome. Um, yeah, but I don't know that I, I don't know. I'm not sure there's like a, a track specifically. Yeah, there's not an official stuff. track. I think I think you just have a bunch of topics, and you, know, you kind of read the abstracts and be like, oh, that's one of those things that I, as an advanced admin, would find enjoyable yeah, yeah. to see. I mean, I remember at, at Trailhead, I, every time I you know you open up the Salesforce events app and you try to figure out okay, what do I want to go to, and even even with even with DX, it's um, Trailhead DX. It's it's overwhelming to me, all the because there's so much content that I want to see that I know I'm, you know, you know you're you're gonna have to pick and choose. I mean, because yeah. there's so much there, uh, and Dreamforce is just, um, gosh, I can't even. I haven't been in f- four or five years, but I can't imagine. I mean, it just I don't see how you. First of all, I don't see how you get a mobile app that can hold that 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 big of a list in memory. 
You should see the Salesforce <laughs> org that holds it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I'm sure they've got a lot of uh, lazy, what's it called, like lazy loading of uh, lists and things. But um. <laughs> there's a there's a there's an object for every bookmark. An object for every bookmark. There's a record for every bookmark. Oh, a record. Okay. That that yeah. that every user makes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So all of that is going back into this org that we use for just for managing events. You know, it's got. I'm sure you, you guys do a lot of analytics on that. Obviously, on that too. Oh you're, yeah. Yeah. You're trying to understand what demand's going to be and all that survey scores and yeah, it's really inter- it's a, it's a really interesting org um, to go look in because we. Um, do you know Jen Lee at John Hancock? She's one of the big superstars of the admin world. Um, I'm unfortunately I'm, I'm somewhat out of touch. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I did a, I did a session a couple years ago, and they're like, oh yeah, you should get a customer. So I I, I think you know, Twittered at Jenna. I was like, hey, you sh- you want to come talk to this? And she's like this superstar of the admin yeah. flow automation okay. world. Okay, and you know, so everybody else in marketing is like, Shane, why does this ses- session have like a thousand bookmarks? And I'm like, you know, or like a thousand registrations. And so we we kept like trying to find bigger and bigger rooms. So the, I mean, they even adjust like venue. Like rooms or an object, you know, so they're they're even adjusting these things. They're like, oh, this many people have bookmarked this. There's no way we can fit it 100 people a room. Exactly, you know. So yeah. they'll they'll upgrade and downgrade rooms and stuff like that and reorganize just based on the event coming in because you you have that period where you can't register for sessions, but you can still bookmark them. Mm-hmm. And that those bookmarks give us a pretty good indication of like what's sure. interesting to customers yeah. and then how big how big of a room should we have. And then if everyone, if it fills up, a lot of times they'll actually move the room. And so you'll see a session was full, but then it suddenly got more capacity. Mm. And that's okay. kind of yeah. the, that's the Dreamforce team looking at all that data and being like, oh, let's get Jen a bigger room because, you know. So pro tip is, is make a last minute check of where your session is before you head out to it, right? Because it might have changed. I assume, that, I assume it will show up on the app. It, it yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, your app will be up to date okay. by the time you get there. Yeah. This is usually a few weeks out oh, okay. that we're starting to, like we're moving things around and trying to find, you know, the optimize the space. Yep. That's great. I can't imagine that. That's Salesforce events team. I don't know who runs that, but they do a pretty darn good job. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all these world tours and all these base camp events yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's the first time I saw someone running a live event, you know, like from the control booth, you know, and they're like, I got speakers. I got the first time you see that, you're just like, wow, that's like a whole other, you know, amazing oh, yeah. control of this thing, yeah. you know. These like people that have retired from like CentCom or something, you know, they could, you know, <laughs> or they're controlling like, you know, I don't know, some kind of airspace of the entire, you know, Western Hemisphere or something. Now they're now they're running a, a big tech event. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine. That's pretty crazy. I I would like to see there. I'm sure they have an amazing like war room. You know, we're like, or even even these um, even like the big keynote halls, like mm. where like Benioff gives his big thing. Like, I mean, if you ever see the um, like the the guys who are running like AV. I mean, mm-hmm. they just got these massive like mixing boards and like so many different like, there's like got to be hundreds of sliders. I'm like, how do you know which one? Like, yeah, yeah. who's on which track? <laughs> well, yeah, this person, this person is just lights. And this person is just the switcher That's, between all the devices yeah. because, you know, you'll have a table over, you know, at the, at the side of the room where someone's got two laptops and three iPhones plugged in, you know, to, to have all these demo stuff yeah. that's already set yeah. up and, and a lot of that is um, is as professional companies that Salesforce is running oh, yeah. to run that stuff. I mean, you yep. can only do so much internally. But um, well, let's let's pop back to demos because I don't think we ever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So well, yep. I mean, I guess you know if you whatever want to talk about like kind yeah. of more about what you do. But I again, I'm curious. You know, you know, I, I think I think people would be interested in knowing like you know what is it what goes into a good demo. What are the what are some practices like when someone you know. When your boss or some product manager or whoever says, "Hey, I'd like you to do this demo for mm-hmm. me," I'm going to be uh, presenting this new feature. Like, what do, what do you then turn to them and say? Okay, well, I need to know these types of things. 
you know, what's my environment? Who's my audience? What's do I? How do I get access? To, I mean, like whatever. What are, what are the things that what goes into a successful demo? We actually have a request form for this. Uh, we, we we got formalized about <laughs> it. Got a form about a year ago, um, and it, it's a quip talk. And we just want people to do a little bit of homework and, and talk about it because. Um, so a couple of the way. Oh, the. Uh, how do you even pronounce that? Rough. Oh, uh, um, E R W O. Oh, pip, okay. Erwo stands for everything. Erwo? Everything rhymes with orange. Okay. That's one of their beers, and this is like a spinoff of that. So this is Rough okay. Tail, I think they're in Oklahoma. Or does it say? It could uh, be. Midwest City, Oklahoma. Okay. Wherever that is. Rough Tail. Okay. DDH. Yeah. Um, that is definitely orange. Nice. Um, I don't think there's any orange. I think it's all just hops. Oh, that's all hops? Yep. It's got like an almost orangish, uh, citrusy, grapefruity kind of. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Orangish hops. All right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so our intake form is like, who's your audience? When is this due? Um, but also, like, there's some there's some aspirational statements where it's like, what do you want the audience to walk away from this with? You know, um, how technical is your audience? Right, and yeah. and there's there's things where, hey, we're going to show you all these features, and because you're a, a really technical Salesforce developer or admin, you're going to instantly be in love with whatever we see because you know what these problems are. And then you may have a totally non-technical audience because and they would be like, I don't know why I would care about that at all, mm. right? Okay. Um, and so, and then probably the most important thing is give us a stacked ranked list of the features or products that you want to see in this demo. And also give us a time limit. Okay, that's okay. good. Because yeah. um, if you're like, hey, I have three demos that are five minutes each. So think of like a stage keynote. Like if you ever been, go to a Salesforce event, you probably see something that's kind of in that shape. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, hey, this is an hour-long demo that you need to show Gartner. And by the way, here's their requirements document. Yeah. Right. Those are two yeah. totally different things. Um, and then there's some other stuff which is like, who is this going to be delivered by? Because like if Gabe, now, do you ever do that? Do you ever do you deliver? Ever, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. So if it's if it's going to be one of us doing it, um, then maybe we'll make a slightly more elaborate setup. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, hey, this is for a salesperson to show to a customer. Like it's got to be super simple and like setup can't be more than five minutes of logging into the org and you know maybe doing two things right. Yep. Otherwise, people would be like, eh, nah, right, right. Um, so yeah, those those are the types of questions that we're asking and um, that that stacked rank list of features because like typically every demo, um, whether it's like a sales demo or like a product marketing demo or whatever, is always like I want to show them everything. They need to see the whole platform. And you also have this sort of like intra-product competition where someone will come to be like, hey, how come there's no platform events in this thing? So you're saying politics get involved. (laughs) In demos, yes. (laughs) Right? And I mean, the same thing is, you know, the same thing used to happen if you're doing like sales engineering and stuff like that. People would be like, well, there's this one person in the room that's really concerned about security. So we need at least five minutes of showing all the profiles and stuff like that. Right? And so what you end up with is like this thing that needs to be um, cut and prioritized, right? And then the other thing um, that that uh, Gabe is sort of the master of is uh, is narrative. Because if you have people who are not necessarily technical people in the room, and this happens a lot if you're demoing to customers, you know, um, it's sort of like make me care and yeah. make me remember it. And so a lot of that turns into 
um, almost narrative arc stuff. Like you're a storyteller. That's what it is. That's right? that's what yeah. it is sometimes. Okay. Right. So, and even if you're doing a really technical demo, if you've got something that lasts 15 minutes and you have to show all these features, they need to come together in some sort of way that hangs off of a central narrative. If not, it's just like. And then this, and then this, and then this. this and you can also do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, you're like, I almost need a protagonist. And I almost need some, like, <laughs> conflict. You know, and like, what could what could happen that this person has to overcome? And the platform solves yeah. some sort of problem yeah. there. People like a little tension and then a, then a conclusion. A positive, yeah. yeah. Do you have a plot <laughs> twist? Do you have something that goes unexpectedly wrong in the middle? You know, um, those types of things where, and then people are like, oh, that was a good demo. And they'll actually remember it. And somewhere in what they remember might be some product marketing messages or what do platform events do anyway? Why would I go home and talk to my developer about that after I get back from Dreamforce? Yep. You know, yep. but the fact that it's stuck in their brain, you know, versus if you have 20 things I want to show you and I just kind of march through 20 things really fast, you might have ticked all the boxes on demo requirements, but people are like, it's not memorable yeah. and it's not... Uh, it's not personal, and it doesn't relate to some problem they, that they can empathize with. And so, on the uh, you know, if you see like a sales cloud demo, you know, almost always there's a salesperson and they have a deal and they're trying to do something or you know some service. You're trying to solve some customer's problem. Yep. So those stories tend to get really um, there's a, they have a lot in common and they're easy to understand. Whereas on the platform world, you're like, okay, so there's this. Uh, recruiting app and you know and I almost have to tell the story of what it is that they're building yep. and why and the character and you know what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so um some of the best demos like you know we do you know like booth type demos as well. Okay. Like, okay. Um so some of the best ones are ones that you know a customer showed us what they built and we're like great thanks for sharing your story do you mind if we pretty much just make Copy. it look exactly <laughs> like that? Um so we you know we That's have cool. uh uh Invisalign you know, they make the oh, yeah, clear, the you know. Mm-hmm. So they're one of our customers and they've got, you know, uh, people using Salesforce. Uh, customers come on a Heroku-based app. It goes through Heroku Connect and ends up in Salesforce and they connect that because they've also got the the portal for their um, dentists and, you know, people okay. that might help you get your Invisalign mm-hmm. measured and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so pretty much, like, they they did us an hour-long demo of, like, here's all the things that we've built on Salesforce. And we, we've we recorded the whole thing, and we're like, fantastic. That's the, to- that's the story we're going to tell. Yeah. You know, and so pretty much you get to tell their story, you know, almost word for word. Um, and there's a, there's a really nice video that'll make you cry that goes along with that. Um, and, then, and then, like, a nice, long technical demo of this is how all, this is how they're using these things to solve so, you know, a whole so bunch of problems. In that case, I mean, did you build a... Did you kind of rebuild what they had built, or did you? Did you are we demoing out of their one of their orgs, or how does that work? Yeah, we don't. No, we don't get to use customer orgs. Um, actually, I've done one where a customer gave me a sandbox credentials. Okay. Um, when we did the, uh, we were in DC. The Minnesota Housing Authority was taking project applications on Salesforce through a community, and then like, you know, this is how they fund housing. Yep. And, um, stuff like that, and so uh, they wanted to share their story, and they're like, they sh- they showed us, and I'm like. Yeah, the fastest way to get this on stage is give me a sandbox that you don't have any data, you know, data yep. that you're worried about mm-hmm. in. Um, but yeah, no, a lot for like the Invisalign thing. You know, we kind of took a couple of things from their website. This is how you find a, you know, a provider um, and make an appointment and stuff like that. So we, I just took their page and, you know, copied a couple of it. It's, it's their CSS and kind of like this is their this is a slight slice of their website. And then, you know, here's the Salesforce side. And just, you know, it's just about building enough to you know, show this one slice of it. They probably have like 
60 other business processes that don't exist in my org yeah. or my Heroku app. But mm. it's just like, okay, for the things I want to show you, I want it to look exactly like theirs looked. Yeah. yeah that's cool. As much as possible. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, that's that the part that surprised me. I, I mean, I guess I should have thought of that, but just that the idea that you're not you're not just like a, a tech guy. You, you were thinking about um, audiences and the, and the narrative, the story you're trying to tell um, and what effect that's, you want, you know, how memorable is this? What are, you know, What's gonna? What's gonna? How can I figure out what button to push for this particular kind of audience? Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, if it's more of a sales engineering demo, you like. Because I used to do that world too, and you like. You really know your so customer. So you don't. You don't do like. You don't do a lot of sales engineering type of stuff. Like, so you're not for not for a specific customer okay. for a specific opportunity, right? Yeah. Um. So that that's I used to do that. Mm-hmm. Um. And there you're like, I know who's in the room. I know what their issues are because I've like interviewed them all and talked to them, and I'm building exactly what they need. Yeah. Right. Um, in in the marketing world, it's almost like I'm making this demo, and there may be like all kinds of people who wandered into this webinar or this keynote or whatever. I don't know who they are. So some of them are going to be really technical and they really know Salesforce. Some of them might have never touched the system in their life, and they have no idea what they're expecting it to look like. You know, um, some of them may be like non-technical people just by nature of their job. Um, so you might have a technical CIO who's never seen Salesforce. You might have a business person who really doesn't care how it's built. They just want to know what it does and yep. why they would care about it because everyone keeps talking about Salesforce and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, And so you have to have this sort of like, um, lots of people could walk away with something of interest that they would, you know, that they would have an interest in yep. how this was built or why this was built. Mm-hmm. You know, And some of them might be interested, oh, that's a new feature. That's cool. I want to go home and implement that because I'm an admin and that's what I do. And then someone else would be like, oh, never really thought about having a portal for my vendors. That's an interesting idea. You know, let me go talk to my tech team about that because yeah. I'm a CIO. Yep. Right. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>